0: You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for Windows, call 866 90 Nation or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. It's a Super Bowl Friday. Cooley's going to be on the show today. A smell test later on as well we'll go through all of the prop bets and andy's gonna join us for a super bowl score and more and he's got some anniversary date i'm sure he'll go through from way back in the day uh snowed a little bit more this morning than they were calling for
1: yeah still snowing now
0: still snowing now as we're recording this actually snowing moderately uh i uh you know, I watched all the local newscasts. I'm a big Sue Palka fan. Most of you who have listened to me over the years know that I've had Sue on the show so many times over the years. She's an old friend. Um, I think she's a fantastic meteorologist. Uh, I like Doug Kammerer. I like Topper Shut. I do not know who does the weather on Channel 7. I don't, I, I have no idea. I can't tell you really all of the sports people in town. Sherry, I know very well at Channel Four because I do the Redskins Showtime show with her. She does a great job. Heather does a great job producing the sports there. I know Aaron at Channel Seven. who does it at channel nine you've mentioned this to me before i don't know that i've ever watched him it, it, Somebody mentioned it maybe it was Andy and I had this conversation. I forget who uh, the, the name of the guy now i haven't i i don't think i've seen the guy i don't think I have and who does it on channel Five? Is, do they even have a sportscaster at Channel Five? I think
1: they do, but I couldn't tell you who. It was oh, wait right a minute. Now.
0: Darren is the guy at Channel Nine. Here it is. I've seen him before. I have watched him before. Um, but uh, but it really, you know, local sports has really been minimized the importance of it over the years because you get so much of it on your phone. You get so much of it from ESPN. Um we have never had a day uh you know like the days of George Michael and Glenn Brenner and Steve Buckhantz and Frank Herzog that was the best. Um but that was a long time ago when when sports on local news was handled differently. Weather's always been important on local news. In fact, I believe it's the highest rated portion of every local news cast is the weather. Um what I was going to say a long way to get to I think they underdid this one last night. I I saw a lot of coating to right around an inch. We got more than an inch out there right now, and it's still snowing. And the roads are as bad as they've been for any of the snows that we've had this year, I think. In part because it's so cold, Um, it's going to warm up. Those of you that are looking for a quick weather update, it's going to warm up this weekend into next week. Like it's a true Indian summer, I guess was the old term that was used um, when you have you know a a few days of of way above normal temperatures in the middle of winter, but then by next weekend we're back into colder weather, and a lot of the long range stuff uh, indicates chances for. Snow, um multiple times uh as we approach the middle portion of the month, maybe even next weekend uh anyway uh it's Super Bowl Friday. I got a lot more than Super Bowl stuff though, because yesterday um there was a lot going on and and we'll start with some commentary uh Aaron, and I some commentary on a few things that went down after yesterday's show. I'm laughing because someone said to me yesterday when I went to Safeway on the way out of this studio. Um, somebody came up to me and said, I really enjoy your commentary. And it sounded so important. Like,
1: commentary, political yeah. commentary. Yeah. It,
0: it made it sound so important when really I think of it more uh, more often than not as just blabbing. Blabbery, I guess we would call it. But anyway, um, we have lots of commentary on the show today. Three things to start the commentary. Josh Norman, Bruce Allen, and Ted Leonsis. First up is Greg Norman. Uh, Josh Norman. Or, or Josh Norman, who's the football player, not the golfer. Josh Norman told TMZ that if Alex Smith hadn't gotten injured, the Redskins would have been in the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl. Listen.
2: You guys were having a killer season with, with yeah, the we Redskins until right. Alex Smith got hurt. We were. Right. Right. Sure. If Alex Smith never gets hurt, what happens? We won Super Bowl. You win
1: it or you're in it? we in it and we win it.
2: Why no are we going to be in it and I win it?
1: Yes, We If, if Alex, You're saying if Alex Smith never got hurt, you'd be in the Super yes, Bowl? Yes, we now. would have been in the Super Bowl. It is, is it well, that's, that's,
2: not, that's not a stretch. Why?
1: So, you guys, TMZ. It's not a stretch for y'all to come out here from LA. Is <laughs> <laughs> so, you, know, you,
2: you legit think if Alex Smith never
1: got hurt, you'd be in the Super Bowl? Why not? Right. Why not? A lot, a lot of, of people think I'm going to Rockets right now, but why not? You I'm, think you could have past the Rams? Uh, yeah, why would, we we'll why would we not get past the Why we not get past the Saints? Why we not get past any teams? Yeah, they would have right. been this earlier in the year, but guess what? We got better from it. We got stronger from it. We quarterback can... who don't so lose games it. for us, and right. we'll fine. So, so how's his recovery
0: going, Alex? The recovery
1: team. It's going well. Done. I mean, I don't know if you're going to be able to play this year, but at the same time, it's just it sucks. But, you know, um are with
3: him, and he's going to be fine.
0: That was Josh Norman uh, yesterday with TMZ. I really like Josh Norman. I've always liked Josh Norman. Trust me on this, because uh, we've had a chance over the last few years to sit down with him multiple times um, in person to, uh, to, to interview him on, on the radio show uh, that we were, that I was involved in with Cooley. He is smart, um, he's interesting, he's savvy. Uh, he, he's no dummy. Trust me on this. I like Josh Norman for a lot of reasons. He's he's just an interesting dude. He's got a lot of charisma like in person. Don't yeah. you
1: you you know what I'm talking oh, about? Abs- absolutely. You gravitate towards him.
0: Yeah, there there is he's got something to him. Um there is no doubt. Um with that said, I hope they cut him for <laughs> for the cap savings and start building with younger players. Um but I do like him. You know, he was doing a few things there with that statement. One, he knew it was TMZ. And he went big, knowing it would blow up big. Um, but secondly, you know he's due to receive eleven million dollars in base salary in two thousand nineteen. If he's on the roster, he's going to count fourteen and a half million on the team's cap next year. Third highest on the team behind Alex Smith and Trent Williams. Uh, but he's heard the, the rumblings. I think of how much the Skins would save if they cut him. It's like eight million plus. In cap savings if they were to, if they were to uh, release him. He doesn't want to leave here. He likes living here. He's playing for club med coaches, basically. You know, he'd love to take another $11 million of Dan Snyder's money for another year. And he knows what Bruce and Dan want. They want affirmation of what? Of how close they are or were, as Josh Norman referred to it with TMZ. Um as an aside, um those that always say when an athlete makes a big statement, a big bold prediction, well what did you want him to say? What did you want him to say? I mean, did you want him to say, "Hey, I think we would have gone 8 and 8." Uh, "Hey, we would we would have been a wild card team and lost to the Bears in the first round?" I always love that response because, you know, they stick a mic in front of his face and people say, "Well, what did you want him to say? These athletes are competitive. Didn't you want him to think that they were going to go win the super bowl. And the answer to that is yes. I want them to think it. I just don't need to hear them say it. That's a personal preference. I like people who show me with their actions, not tell me with their words. That's all. That's just me for, for this group over the years. It's been nothing but words, never backed up with actions ever. So what should he have said? And I'm not even referring to just Josh Norman, who I think had tongue firmly placed in cheek for much of that. But what should these athletes say when, you know, some of you would say, well, what did you want him to say? Uh, well, in that particular case, he could have said, "That's a really good question." You know, Alex was good for us. We were six and three. We had a long way to go. We had a lot to work on, but we liked the way we were playing. Uh, but you know, talk is cheap, and he got hurt, and we went seven and nine. That was our record. We're going to work hard in the off season. Come back next year and take another swing at it. That's what I'd like to hear. TMZ him say. doesn't
1: run that. <laughs>
0: no, of course they don't run that. The headline statement. Um, you know, is what he was looking for. But, you know, uh, what did you want him to say? I just don't want the constant overselling and under delivering. We've had it for so long. And that's why there, th- that's why there are fewer and fewer showing up at FedEx field, fewer and fewer watching. And that's why, you know, there are fire hashtags, you know, fire everybody hashtags everywhere. You know, again, Josh Norman, tongue-in-cheek for the most part, I get it. But if there were any leadership, if there was any leadership in this organization, all of these bold proclamations from redskin players over the years, from players who have never won anything, if there was a real culture in the organization, that's, that stuff would have stopped a long time ago. But the culture allows it. It promotes it. By the way, I, I did this a few weeks ago. You know, if if, you know, many of you are now having the, the conversation off of Josh Norman's comments for the first time about, well, what would they have done? I did this a few weeks ago, Aaron, and I think I said eight and eight and maybe nine and seven. You know, I was taking into consideration all of the injuries, not just the injury to Alex Smith. Um, but, you know, if they had been better overall health-wise, this team wasn't close to much. Call me negative all you want. You're the same people that have said in the past that I've got rose-colored glasses on. I I say it as I see it. This team this year was doing good things when they were healthy, but they were not a good team. You know, those are two different things. They were doing good things that led to chances to win games, and the breaks went their way. But it didn't prove that they were a good team yet. They got blown out too much to have been a good team. And that was before losing Smith. They were struggling on offense, flawed, and as we now know, they had turmoil on defense. The 6-3 and three was really 6-4 and because Smith wasn't going to lead them back from 17-7 down because the team had not rallied once from behind in any of their previous games. So it was going to be 6-4. and four. They weren't going to beat Philadelphia. They weren't going to beat Dallas on the road. Right? they were they trailed the Giants forty to nothing. Was Smith going to be the difference maker in a forty to nothing game? I mean, I know Sanchez was pathetic; he was embarrassingly awful that day. And but but the real truth of that game is that Saquon Barkley did mean things to the Redskins' defense, illegal things. Smith couldn't have helped that much on defense that day. I thought Josh Johnson's performance against Jacksonville was one of the best all year for a Redskins quarterback. They may have lost that game with Alex Smith. 8-8 and at best. Two more wins. 9-7 and would have been a long shot. It was not a good team. It was a very average team and a flawed team. With, by the way, a 34-year-old quarterback. Uh, Bruce Allen spoke yesterday. Um, He spoke on Radio Row down at the Super Bowl uh, to 980, and he spoke to J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington. I did not hear the J.P. interview. I've read uh, some of the excerpts from that interview. I did listen to the 980 interview. Uh, Lots of laughter, lots of yucking it up. Not much came out of it. Um, Alan did call the report from Ian Rappaport about the Skins planning on not having Alex Smith in 2019. He referred to that as nonsense. Um, It's what I had the other day, you know, uh, on Monday or Tuesday, I forget now which day it was. If you want, go back and find it. Um, But when I said that my sources had told me that the nuclear option of cutting Alex Smith was not going to happen, And one of the reasons it wasn't going to happen was that they actually did think there was a chance that Alex Smith could be back sometime in 2019, if not 2020. Um, He did, uh, Alan, reiterate that he thought they were close, you know, and he referred to the injuries. Uh, With J.P. Finley, he said about the fan frustration, quote, We share the same frustration. Tennessee game we had a chance to close it the Cowboys game we turned it over and allowed some big plays on defense that is frustrating we just got to keep focused on what is real what's real is getting our players healthy right now Jay's done a good job of giving a new coaching staff to our players we've got to attack March and the off-season program with all the spirit and all the blood in us to win closed quote so that was uh bruce on jp's uh show um attack march they really haven't attacked march in a long long time they don't have that much dry powder right now to really attack march last year they did to a certain degree and they didn't really attack it even though they told us they were going to attack it Uh, i think he also mentioned this may have been on the 980 interview i don't think it was it may have been with jp or maybe somewhere else he also mentioned that they do intend to try to re-sign josh johnson So we're headed towards a training camp showdown between Colt McCoy and Josh Johnson. Maybe a rookie quarterback. The
1: Rumble in Richmond.
0: The Rumble in Richmond. It's coming, boys and girls. Get your tickets, Colt and Josh. McCoy against – the McCoys against the Johnsons. Uh, And maybe a rookie quarterback. You know what? Seriously. Seriously. Uh, again, call me negative all you want. I mean, uh, you're the same people that have accused me in the past of, of being completely delusional on the positive side. I just fee- I say what I feel in the moment, and, and right now I'll say this. If Jay Gruden gets this group next year to finish in the top half of the league on offense, there will be a multi-team battle to hire him next year as an offensive coordinator. There will be, they'll be fighting each other to get Jay Gruden to be an offensive coordinator. I think he's going to be an offensive coordinator anyway once he leaves Washington. I, I think people respect Jay Gruden's ability to design, you know, a pass offense in particular, but to, to coach an offense. I think people do respect that about him. Um, so, you know, right now it's McCoy, Johnson, and maybe a rookie quarterback. I don't think they're going to attack free agency in March. Um, the way Bruce Allen apparently described it with JP. Uh, And I don't think a quarterback will come via free agency except for the re-signing of Josh Johnson. One other thing, actually, that he said uh, on 980. He talked about the staff that Jay's put together consistently and very obviously making it clear to everyone that the staff that's been put together here in the offseason is Jay's staff, Jay's decisions. He said that last week, too, uh, at the Senior Bowl. This has become a very subtle Bruce go-to move. He wants to minimize his role publicly. He's the overseer, but he's not directly involved in the day-to-day roster moves, coaching hires, etc. This is what he wants you to believe. This is what he wants me and people in the media to believe nobody's buying it. That's not true. Some of you buy it. All right. Some of you buy it. And, and it really, if nobody bought it, then they would feel differently about the whole scene out there. But there's still, as we've mentioned before, this 5% of the fan base that just is never, ever going to feel that, that they're anything but very close and always doing the right thing. But nobody really is buying any of this stuff. It's a weak attempt by Allen. This goes back to his detachment from reality, the thought that fans and media alike aren't really paying attention. It's like when he held the press conference to bash Cousins for not taking the greatest deal in the history of football after the 2016 season. He and Eric Schaefer thought we weren't paying attention. They really didn't. This is the God's honest truth. They thought they could hold that press conference and tell everybody that they just made Kirk Cousins some sort of historic deal and that he was greedy for not taking it. They thought none of us knew that he was going to be offered $30 million more six, seven, eight months later. They just thought we were dumb and not paying attention. Bruce, nobody believes that Doug Williams made the decision on Reuben Foster, even, even though you gutlessly put him out in front of it. Nobody believes the Alex Smith trade was something you didn't trigger. Nobody paying attention doesn't believe that you and Dan aren't intimately involved right now in the coaching staff hires. We are paying attention. And when you, for the second consecutive week, harp on the staff that Jay has just put together, that Jay's put together, like he's done it with total autonomy, we see what you're trying to do. You set up Doug to be the fall guy on Foster. You're setting up Jay to be the fall guy on the staff. Bruce is political, yes, but he's also treating all of us, media, fans alike, like we are blind and deaf. Uh, To Ted Leonsis and his appearance yesterday on WTOP radio. Um, First of all, before I get to that, the Porzingis trade. Everybody wants to be traded in the NBA these days. It's really, we're on the verge of a very exciting week if you're into this, and I know many of you couldn't care less. Porzingis is, you know, that deal happened last night. Maybe Kyrie Irving in the next few days. I thought Kyrie Irving wanted out of Cleveland to get out of LeBron's shadow so he could prove that he could win without LeBron. Why is he reportedly unhappy now in Boston? Because he wants to go back to LeBron now, apparently. He's troubled. He's a troubled professional. Uh, the Porzingis trade, real quickly, it might be, I think I'm in the minority on this based on all that I read and, and heard. I don't think the Knicks did that poorly in the deal. I'm a big Dennis Smith Jr. fan for starters, but they get two future first rounders, they clear space, they've got 70 million to sign at least one star, if not two, um, that'll be a big you know, challenge, and that's a big deal here as part of this overall transaction, which I'll get to in a moment. But Porzingis didn't want to be there; he's never healthy. I actually thought the Knicks did well. Dallas with Doncic and Porzingis moving forward with you know Harrison Barnes, I guess, is the number three if he stays. I think he's got a team, a, a player option. Hardaway Junior is going to help, um, but Porzingis is coming off you know an ACL. Uh, the Knicks have. A situation here where it will be a great deal if they get Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard in the offseason sure. or Kevin Durant and Kyrie or whatever. Yeah. One, one of the three to go with Dennis Smith Jr., they're going to be better. And that's where this thing can fall apart. But I, I actually, when I, when I saw the details of it, I, I wasn't that. I didn't think that Dallas had somehow gotten the better of the Knicks in the deal. I mean, all of these things, you don't know until down the road, but you have to evaluate it in the moment because it's the, it's the data that you're working with. I just think that the Knicks did okay on that deal. And the Knicks, you know, are an organization. That is not very desirable as a destination right now. Similar to the Redskins, you know, the owners driven the organization into the ground. The Knicks and Skins actually are similar in many ways. Long time, rabid, loyal fan bases. They've got a history of being good, but it was a long time ago. The Knicks not as good as the Redskins. You know, the Knicks have two titles. They have two titles to their to their credit. The Redskins have. Uh, obviously, they had more championship series, more super uh, and more Super Bowl appearances, more Super Bowl wins, and the Knicks. You know, they got two, but they, they but they they were a, a successful franchise a long time ago. But they're similar in that you've got horrible owners who have no concept of what it takes to build a winner, fan base fan bases who can't stand the owner, which has resulted in little faith, little hope, and an erosion of the fan base in pure numbers. Um, there are big differences between New York and Washington, the Knicks and the Redskins. New York is a much bigger market, yes, and it has Madison Square Garden, you know, and that venue for sports fans, basketball fans, is a place where you love to go to see games. You know, yep. FedEx Field is not.
1: No. Uh, what you said though makes me is what makes me question the deal. You said not a desirable team. The big point of the trade is to make the you know to get the people to come in. So far, they haven't been able to get signed free agents at all over the past few years. Free agents don't want to go there. You're right. And if they can't sign anybody, then the trade was an awful one.
0: That's true, except for the fact that Porzingis wasn't going to stay much longer either. You know, Porzingis didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be there. And I really think you know, there's something with this injury thing with him. He cannot stay healthy. Let me get to the Ted Leonsis thing real quickly, because I, I mentioned yesterday, you know, the trade deadline, and I hope that the Wizards are involved. I don't think they're going to be. He was on WTOP yesterday, and he said about, you know, trading players before the deadline. He said, quote, I love when fans go trade Bradley Beal, trade John Wall, trade Otto Porter, and I go, okay, for who? Uh, and he said, we're not trading any of those players. I mean, he made it very clear they're not trading any of those players. He said, we're under 500. the season's not done, we've got to continue to fight and show our fans that we're not mailing it in, that we think we can make the playoffs. And once you make the playoffs, anything can happen. We think that the draft is a way that we can improve our team, and we might be able to make some trades around the edges before February 7th, the trade deadline. Um, and then next off season, we would have to look at what's best in terms of the road for us to follow. I wouldn't throw in the towel on this core. I just won't do that. Closed quote. You know, when it comes to, um, uh, when it comes to Ted's patience and the patience in Ernie and the belief he has in his players, you know, I'm I sort of understand where he's coming from. I, I I can't bash him completely for this. And I know all of you want, you know, Ernie fired and that what is Ted doing? It's the same thing. It's the hashtag, you know, fire Ernie Grunfeld thing to a lesser degree. Uh, I thought that they were headed in the right direction too. I, I really thought as recently as a year and a half ago or just less than two years ago, you know, they're within a whisker of the Eastern Conference Finals in a Game 7 against Boston, a game that they led late in the, in, in the third quarter. You know, it may not have looked like a team that was going to win titles, but it looked like a team that was going to compete at the higher levels of the Eastern Conference for years to come. But less than two years after that seventh and deciding game in Boston, it's not the same team. It's not the same prognosis. And this is where I think Ted is a little bit off. I hear him completely, and I may have been overly optimistic about what was possible with John and Bradley and even Otto Porter. You know, I never liked the Trevor Ariza deal. I never liked that. I wanted more maturity on the team. I wanted more defense on the team. Um, But I I understand where where he's been coming from. But right now, in the moment, it's not the same team. It's not the same outlook. Wall has injury issues. And for him, if he slows down, if his speed and athleticism are compromised, he's not the same player. I would try to move Porter and his contract now. That's where I am on him. And yes, I'd like to know what they're going to get for him before I definitively say trade Otto Porter. I'd move anybody and everybody if it meant a chance at a top five talent, you know, like Anthony Davis, but he doesn't want to come here. Porter's the one I'd move. You know, I'd get rid of that contract. I'd get rid of a guy who is a good player but far from a difference maker. Get something back that can help you in the future. If Porter were a tough, hard-nosed badass winner, then I'd really love his versatility. I'd love it a lot more, but he's not. You know, I'd move on from him. You're not going to win with Otto Porter taking up all that cap space. You know, By definition, his contract needs to match a player who is a much bigger factor when it comes to winning. And it's not. Not his fault that he got the deal. And from the team's perspective, when they did it, they thought they would develop, that he would develop a little bit, and that Bradley and John would develop a little bit around him, and Bradley has, and that Otto would become a true third star. But that was wishful thinking. I would try to move Porter. But to Ted's question on T.O.P., what do they get back for him? I don't know. But the one thing Ernie's been good at over the years, Ernie's been good at trades. Not great at drafting, but pretty good on trades over the years. Um all right, we're going to get to Cooley here I think momentarily. Uh Georgetown won last night, good for them. Maryland plays tonight, very excited about that. They're a 5-point underdog at wisconsin in a huge game it could be mark turgeon's first road win over a ranked team maybe tonight's a big game you would agree with that
1: a a big game if they you know one of those really big games if they win because they win will pretty much erase the loss to illinois a good win always overrules a bad loss in the eyes of a committee um you know, it's just like I have to see it to believe it.
0: Wisconsin is playing the best they've played all year. They're the team that beat Michigan. Look out Michigan tonight, by the way, against Iowa. Um, that line is short. Uh, I would take Iowa plus the points in that one, but I have not been doing very, uh, very well college hoops-wise the last couple of nights. So those of you that have asked for my picks, just be happy that you haven't gotten them um, the last couple of days. Hashtag uh, fade Sheehan. Ha- hashtag fade Sheehan's college uh, basketball picks right now um lebron was back last night looked good and you know had a had a near triple double and an overtime win over the uh, clippers the warriors win streak came to an end in a phenomenal game against the 76ers Wow, the sixers when they are on uh are dangerous caps are back at it tonight you know off the a uh, long break for that all-star i mean what they their last game was a week and a half ago
1: yeah it's at weird, this cause, point cause- People were playing earlier in the week. I don't know why the Caps had such a specifically long break.
0: And they still have a seven-game losing streak, right? Yep. Yeah, so uh, they play the Flames tonight. Uh, Window Nation is a big fan of the podcast. I want you to be a big fan of Window Nation if you're thinking about new windows. Give them a chance. I promise you that you will not be disappointed. And more than that, there's no risk to calling window nation up at 86690nation or going to windownation.com if you've been thinking about new windows. Home show season is just getting started, so is the home show savings uh, and that is an event that window nation is running right now. You'll turn your home into a showplace. Window nation wants to bring the home show savings right to your door with free windows, but you must hurry. This offer ends Sunday. Call them today and mention Home Show Promo. You'll get two free windows for every two you buy. Buy four, get four free. There is no limit. Plus, for a limited time only, get 0% financing for 18 months. Call today. Get educated on the newest models and latest innovations demonstrated right in the comfort of your own home. Absolutely free. You'll get factory incentives. Plus, once a year Home Show discounts from the company that has installed over 450,000 windows in more than 80,000 homes including mine twice over the last decade. Now through Sunday, two free windows for every two you buy plus 0% financing. Call Window Nation 86690 Nation or visit windownation.com. That's 86690 Nation or windownation.com and tell them that I sent you. All right, let's bring in Chris Cooley uh here on a Super Bowl Friday. Chris is down in Atlanta. How's I can't it...
2: believe you made it to Radio Row, man. It's good to see you here. It's this place is
0: uh it's a zoo. Everyone walking around. I know. It's always so much fun. Uh I you uh-huh. know what? I don't miss being down there um this year. Oh you I, don't want to play along. I do miss, I do miss though, and I mentioned this yesterday. I, I miss the week away from home and hanging out with, you know, all of the guys. Like we we had we had a lot of fun in San Francisco. We had a lot of fun in New York. We had a lot of fun. Well, I don't think you were at the uh, were you with us for the Phoenix Super Bowl? I can't remember. Um, I was. Yeah. So, oh, that's right. That was that was the that was the terrible hotel I told the story this week with Tommy that that we were supposedly going to check into that was crack infested and you and I basically, you know, told Chuck no we will not be staying there. Uh, you can yeah, t- we said
2: no. Find another place. I'm not, I said I'm not staying at that place. Yeah. I said I'll get my own hotel if I have to.
0: Right. We we both uh, suggested that, and then
2: so they got us a another hotel, 20 minutes out of town, with one rental car that you <laughs> hogged the entire trip. And
0: no, I didn't hog oh, it. Oh, my
2: show's before your show, so I got to take the car. <laughs> can you find out a way to get to the get to the place? But, uh, yeah, sure. Me, we'll take a cab. Me and Nick will take a
0: cab. Actually, you know what? It was Doc and I who hogged the car because Doc and I. This is when. Uh, you were in the afternoons, and Doc and I went were on before you. So Doc and you were like, "Fine, I'll just figure out how to get there. I'll Uber there, or whatever." It was so stupid. The the dumbest was in San Francisco, where they literally put us in a location where it was going to cost them three times as much in transportation than it would in the difference between a hotel that was right. closer right. to Radio Row. They just could not figure that out. But I, but I do miss being there Super Bowl week. You're, I'm assuming you're coming home today. I'm coming home tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. You have missed yep. a, c- brutally cold weather and another two inches of snow t- today. I know
2: have. it was. I'm, 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 obviously, I have contacts in the area that you're currently in. <laughs> yes, you and, do.
0: You've got family. In fact, I think Hawaii, <laughs> like a couple Hawaii, family Hawaii's members, kids. Yeah. a
2: couple family members are there and informing me <laughs> that it was very cold. So um, it was cold here until today yeah but not as you cool. you know what this this is I miss you i I really do when I like this deal, my first super Bowl was New York, you were there, we spent so much time um I don't know if you've told that story where um we went to the bar and everyone said oh you this is your father um <laughs>
1: you
0: You became dad in New York I'm I'm glad you told that story and not some of the others from New York but yes the bartender uh, mistakenly uh, referred to me as your father and you thought that was really funny but
3: this is
2: what is interesting Um, so I've been on Radio Row the last two days uh, doing stuff with the Redskins in my podcast and I, I just as an observer have noticed that it is a um it's a it's a measuring contest. I'll keep it PG for you. I know I don't have to. You can you, no, can you swear don't. on your you podcast. Don't have to. But it's a measuring contest of all media members. And then you get all, all of the former players and and it's I swear to you and I don't care at, I don't I actually don't care. It's a status contest if I've ever seen one. It's unbelievable the ego that goes around Radio Row.
0: You know what? It's funny because that's not I I know what you're saying, I I guess, but I don't know. We I just first of all, I never liked the radio row scene because I didn't want to be forced to take players that were you know pitching their wares, and most oh of, I know, and most of the players were not worth having on. It was not good radio in. I always felt like if we didn't go to the Super Bowl, we wouldn't have one lost listener or one gained listener because of it. It, w- it was going to be the same. Most of our listeners over the years would much rather listen to you and I or Galdi or Zabe and Andy or Zabe and Scott or Doc and Brian or whatever talk about you know the things we wanted to talk about and not have to interview you know, some has-been NFL star that was going to spend 10 minutes talking about the product that he was pitching.
2: It's, uh, I, I was with Scott Lynn yesterday, and he said, I have Pac-Man Jones. I, what am I going to ask Pac-Man Jones? I don't want to hear Dr. Pac-Man Jones. Right. Where, where, I don't even know where he is. Where did he play last year? He's, I think Denver. Well, And we it? came up with fake questions that he would ask Pac-Man Jones, as you can assume, whatever you, you would really want to ask Pac-Man Jones, but he did, I don't think he asked him those
0: questions you know, at least with the younger or more recent players, but they weren't always the worst. Sometimes they, they were awful, but some of the older guys that they would bring around that literally couldn't remember anything. So what were you going to talk about? And you barely, you had to, you had to get them ID'd as they walked up to your table. The deal was on radio row. And I don't think I explained this yesterday when I was talking about it, but typically what happens is, you know, to get, uh, to get Steve young or to get uh Chris Collinsworth on your show you had to take two or three guys that you didn't want during the course of the week
2: right and deal with all of the handlers
0: and deal with all of the handlers yes um but anyway uh i do i do miss being although uh, well Atlanta is a good uh, Atlanta is a good city uh, i'm that uh, that's fine um but it, the New York Super Bowl and you just brought it back to my memory was a fun week we did not have one early night that entire week, I don't think. No,
2: that was really when we first really got to know each other.
0: Yeah, I guess so, to a certain degree. Um, all right, uh, let's talk some football. Uh, let's talk Redskins first before we get to the game because I am interested in talking about the game in detail and getting your thoughts from a Rams perspective, which is what I guess you've probably thought about more than anything else. But let's start with some of the the happenings here with the Redskins over the last couple of weeks uh, since I last talked to you on on the podcast. How about this week? How about Kevin O'Connell being elevated? I thought that this was uh, a result of, of two words. Sean McVeigh. Your reaction to it was what?
2: I don't think it has to do with, with Sean McVay. Uh I, I think, well, one, I think Kevin is very good at what he does. Two, I think he sees eye to eye with Jay more than anybody else in that building, and that's not to take credit or take away from anyone else in their relationship, but I think that's that kind of deal is the trust that he has. I think he trusts him enough that Kevin will call plays this year. So there's that. Next, again, I I don't want to be dismissive of Cav. I am not in meetings. I am not part of what they do. Kevin Cavanaugh. I Cav- Cavanaugh was the offensive coordinator, which essentially means that he's the installation guy. And your installation guy has to some extent has got to be a little bit of a salesman. They gotta be good. I sat in a lot of meetings, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's your offensive coordinator. That's not Jay. Jay can't sit there and install and do everything. It's impossible, really, uh, if you want to manage the team in the right way. To be the head coach, get ready for install, watch defense, prepare, understand, deal with everybody else administratively. He needs an installation guy. Even if he's calling plays, he still needs an installation guy. And I think that Kevin is a guy that the players will really respond to, enjoy, like him, will be a great installation guy. I think that's a big part of it as well. That really goes n- n- unsaid for most parts because most people just think of the play calling and the end result, but how you get to the end result is good meetings or that's a part of it. And I think that is, I'll bet you that's a big part of it, why he did that because he wants him to install and, and, and essentially a better call plays.
0: Okay. Well, I that... think there's
2: some other stuff too. I mean, I, I think there there's probably, that's who we trust the most. And I'm sure that there are things he wants to change, and he he knows that'll be the easiest route to do it.
0: What do you think he wants to change?
2: I think he wants to change. I think it, okay, I don't know if he wants to change this, but I would change the style of run game. I, and it would it would not be what it was last year. It had 374 run plays, uh, close to 300 of them, of them. Do not resemble the play action that you use. So one in four runs actually looks like play action. The rest of them, you go, yep, run. <laughs>
0: Why was that? Because they, ran, they had so much more in terms of a percentage of run plays that were play-action oriented in the years before.
2: I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, they called duo a bunch. RPO doesn't count as play-action. It's a different form of game. Um, and it's it's I think it's its own entity because you're not really challenging or throwing the ball down the field in the RPO game. You're reading one player and you're throwing most of the time to a slant on, in, in between the hash and the numbers. So that's another style of, of game. Um, that did count as some of the run plays. There were 60 some RPO plays I think this year in and around. But uh, yeah, I, I mean I think a lot of it is just syncing everything together uh, as an offense. And I, I don't think that the offense was synced. Uh, in, in the way that everything looks the same. Like when you talk about the Rams and every, everybody says everything looks the same. Well, everything doesn't look the same for our offense, which makes it predictable.
0: All right, so the, the the part of the the Sean McVay comparison for me was that there was a lot of discussion that Kevin O'Connell was sought out by other teams that they they believed that he was another high riser, fast riser and a talented guy that would ultimately, you know, be something much more than what he was this year in Washington and it would happen quickly. In fact, Tory Smith who played for him when he was an offensive assistant in San Francisco in in 2016 when the when Adam Schefter set up, sent out the tweet saying that that O'Connell had gotten the OC job Tory Smith said Sean McVay and then he went on to to, to essentially detail how talented uh, and creative and what a good leader and communicator uh, in front of a team he is um, so I thought that part of this was the Redskins were fearful that he would get out of the organization and go shine somewhere else like Sean McVay did. I don't
2: know what his details contractually were, um, if his contract was coming to an end or next where was, year, I think you don't have a, Kevin didn't have a choice unless he was offered a head coaching job. It's the organization's decision to let someone take a, another position anywhere but head coach. Right. But next say Sean McVay, all you want to say, Sean McVay, Sean can beg and knock down the door to hire Kevin O'Connell as a a play caller. The, the, The Redskins can say, nope. Not going there, pal.
0: Yeah, but we're t- we're talking about we're talking about next year. I'm not. I wasn't referring yeah, but to this next year. Next
2: year, he could be a head coach. But what
0: I'm but what I'm saying is that they wanted to get him into a position where they could really see can he can he run an offense? Can he call plays? Although Bruce told 980 yesterday that Jay's going to he thinks Jay's going to call the plays next year. Um, but uh, but anyway, um, that they just didn't want to let a talented guy potentially leave the organization a year from now. And I want to step further to say that if it doesn't work out uh, for Jay, they are, uh, they are potentially interviewing Kevin as a potential re- replacement, as a head coach next year. What do you think of that?
2: I think that's, that's fair enough, uh, but again, it's, everybody that's 35 and in this league is potentially a head coach next year based on the Sean McVay theory. I mean, you see what Oklahoma just did with Lincoln Riley? Yeah. They give him stay bonuses
4: every year. He stays, he
2: gets a bonus. It's unbelievable. You can't keep someone just because you, you give him another position. I, I I just I think that Kevin will have opportunities, and they will probably be head coach opportunities uh, anywhere in the league next year, it, it, unless it's an utter failure.
0: Everybody's thirty five that's getting a job. Damn, you're thirty six. Yeah, too old. About to become thirty seven. Um, all right. What about Rob Ryan's hire?
2: It's interesting. <laughs> I had a chance to sit down and talk to Rob Ryan two days ago. Okay. He was um, selling his wares on Radio Row and <laughs> he came and sat and talked to Larry and I. And the thing that I got from Rob is that he loves ball. He wants to be around ball. Uh, he likes players. He, he, he wants to be in football. I, I, my opinion is if something was lacking defensively, and you, anyone can say that anything they want about Minuski. I don't think Minuski is as bad as people think. I, I, I just don't. Uh, but I don't, I don't think that they have a good blitz package. And it, Rob Ryan seems like he comes from a tree of people who understand how to blitz the quarterback or blitz on defense. If he's going to add, it's going to be in that respect. Um, I I thought it was interesting that, that they let Kirk Olavadotti take a lateral position to Green Bay. Uh, I thought it was interesting that, that they let Ben Kawika take a lateral position in Atlanta, but you, you have to hire someone.
0: Interesting. And, and interesting. Why? Did you think they were good coaches?
2: I did. Yeah, I thought Ben Kowika was a good coach, and so do the Atlanta Falcons. And everybody respects Kirk Olivadotti And and obviously, you know,
0: well, it's because they didn't. The game, again, they wanted. They again, wanted again, to move on. I don't know on. the
2: details. I don't know the details of what like these. Players' contracts are very public. I don't know the details of coach contracts, so you know, I I think it's interesting that they they want to move on, and and did, but I don't have a problem with the Rob Ryan hire. I, I like Rob. I think he's a good guy. I I think he's a good coach. He has not had great success as a coordinator, but that doesn't mean that he's not a good individual coach and that he won't work well with the players. He he will he'll relate to the players, and. and like the culture that the defensive staff is as like the, the kind of old man gritty culture he fits right in and so whether you like it or not you I think you have to have a lot of the same kind of people to to really develop culture and so I like that I like that higher.
0: you know Greg Minuski a little bit how will he handle um knowing that they try desperately to replace him in this off season?
2: Well, he met with all of those coaches. He was he was in all of those meetings,
0: so he, he <laughs> okay. Him. That's funny, but seriously, how do you think he's going to handle it?
2: I can only say that I would handle it with a massive chip on my shoulder, and hey, I'm going to prove you wrong and have great success.
0: I know how you. I know and, how you would handle it. You know that's him. How I, that, but I, I would assume that's how he'll handle
2: it. He doesn't have a choice to handle it any any other way. Right? Pound and cry about it, right? but he still he wants to coach in this league and as every player says there's I'm auditioning for 31 other teams every time I play so are the coaches so he wants to have a successful year
0: um all right let's go let's move to the team and the roster uh how many players let's start at quarterback what do you think they're going to do at quarterback i think they have to draft a quarterback
2: i i i have no problem with colt mccoy being the guy to start the season they're going to try to keep josh i like josh as a backup quarterback i don't know if you draft a guy if it's the right spot for him to play in this year currently with our offense now had you get do you get seven eight nine weeks in the season he starts to be ready your offensive line's healthy you have somewhat of a run game then yeah that, that that's a good opportunity to let a guy like that play if you're not having offensive success as it is with with the quarterback but there's no real plan for alex to be back at any capacity that he was expected to be at he may come back and he may end up performing at a high enough level i don't think it's this year uh, i've talked to joe theisman a bunch about this he thinks it's two years he said it was two full years before he felt like he could really move around and throw the ball clearly new technology new stuff new different injuries a little bit i mean nothing's the same but I think the similarities are striking enough that that Joe saying that two full years before he really felt good is probably realistic, and that puts Alex at 35 as a mobile quarterback who's never going to be the same. So you, you, the nature of football is that if someone can't produce, you move on. And as of right now, he can't produce, and I think they'll have to move on. I think they'll have to find somebody. It'll be interesting where they go, um, how that shakes out through the draft. If there is somebody in the in the second round or, or or third round that you really believe in, but don't you get the feeling? Like, I'll, I'll ask you this. I, I mean, at this point, don't you almost need someone that you can build hope
0: around? Well, I mean, from that standpoint, their only hope here in the offseason is to make a splash, you know, quarterback, you know, move in, in the draft. I mean, and we're not talking second or third round. We're talking about, you know, Dwayne Haskins or Drew Locke or Will Greer or Daniel Jones or Kyler Murray. That's what we're talking about. I mean, that that is the only splash move right now. You have a dead-on arrival fan base. The the interest is at an all-time low. From an attendance standpoint, from a watching standpoint, um, they didn't get what they wanted in the offseason, which was Bruce Allen's head. Um, They didn't get that. Uh, They didn't get significant change anywhere. So the only thing, if they were thinking about marketing before winning, um, would be to draft a quarterback at 15 or higher. Uh, and that might, you know, be a bit of a jolt. It's not going to solve the, 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 the whole problem, but it would be a bit of a jolt. But personally, cause you asked me personally, I, I only want them to take a quarterback if they're absolutely convinced on the quarterback. They have so many other needs. And in 2019 to me is a double digit loss season going in right now on paper. You've got to th- be thinking about your future. you got to be thinking about 2020, 2021. You know, maybe there's a quarterback that's coming out next year that you like more. But if there's a great pass rusher at 15 and you like him a hell of a lot more than you like Will Greer or Drew Locke, you take the pass rusher. What do you think?
2: Well, one, as you look at organizations that have success in this league, very few of them do it without a quarterback. And very few of them do it for more than a year without a long-term answer at that position. So when you say other needs, I, I do think that the quarterback essentially assumes the need of three different positions. It, it just does. It, it improves your offense on. It, it it impacts everybody's skill level on offense. A better quarterback makes everybody look better. So I think your need is quarterback. Um, yeah, in but- terms of sell hope, I'm not. I'm not only talking about sell hope to. The fans. I'm talking about like really believe that in two years, this is a, this is a guy that's going to win for us to the coaches, the players, the scouts, the organization. It's more like they got to feel like they're going to be something or build to something. Now I say all this and like you know you know me. Um, I know Tom felt this way for a while. My biggest desire is is to see Colt McCoy and his greatest success. It's not like I'm going to bank on it. I just I am. So excited for him to have one more chance, and I think he's going to get one more chance. And I think he's a great player. He has limitations, and his injuries have been a massive problem. I say all of that, but it's not. I mean, it's not the the hope answer. But I wouldn't count him out. Well, I, really, I wouldn't count him out right now.
0: Well, I would count him in as the day one starter in two thousand. Well, yeah, but
2: everyone's you're counting him yeah. in as the day one starter with a double digit loss record. So you're counting him in as a starter, but out as a productive quarterback. Well, I, I wouldn't count I, him
0: out just yet. Am I that far off?
2: You might not be, pal. I think you're. I think you got the the odds in your favor.
0: I, th- I think back to the quarterback though. Thing is that you th- there are a couple of things here. First of all, if you're good at identifying talent and drafting talent, and you know you still have. You know the the more misses at that position than hits. You know you still have the Paxton Lynches and the Christian Hackenbergs and mm-hmm. and and the Blake Bortles and the EJ Manuals and the you know we can just go back through the list of first rounders Brandon Whedon's Jake Locker Blaine Gabbert Robert Griffin Christian Ponder uh, Griffin at number two. So the odds if you're really good at evaluating and then and identifying and then drafting are still 50 50 at best and when you're not great at it then the odds are even less that's why to me that this this organization should always be thinking about volume of picks so that you stumble into three or four every year and you know with respect to 15 overall I'm taking the best player available and and
2: well I agree but one come on no one's going to believe that they're not good at it no one's going to address it in that fashion
0: you mean from inside Two, the because building. you may yeah. or may not hit
2: doesn't mean that you that you don't need and so that you don't attempt because you're not sure doesn't mean you don't give it a shot no i <laughs> so i and i think that they do probably believe that they're good at it because anybody that works in the professional sports world does think they're good at it they think they're geniuses right so they will think that they're good at it
1: yeah, and I'm they not. should
2: it doesn't mean that they they'll be right but you can't you can't sit there and twiddle your thumbs and go, ah, well, I just don't know. So let's let's just
0: drive somewhere else. No, no, no. I, I'm not suggesting that they don't believe that they're really good at everything. I, I understand that part of it. I, I'm just saying that if you asked me what I'm hoping for, I'm hoping that – Whatever their, their number one runaway player is, if it's so much better than the quarterback that they've got mocked out at 15, sure, that they sure. take the other um, player. I, I also, um, you, 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 you made me think of something that I just forgot, actually, for a moment. But anyway, uh, the, 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 the draft, uh, he, I, I don't have a problem when teams trade up. You know, for quarterbacks, whether it's the Eagles or the Rams or the the Chiefs in recent years, you know, I don't have a problem with that, but I but I don't think that they'll do it well. But it doesn't mean that they won't try it. Although Bruce has been much more conservative in recent years when it comes to things like that,
2: it, none of it changes the fact that you need it. So you need it, um, right? And it and it's more than just one need. It it really is. It's it's. Bigger than just, well, we need that position. That is by far the most important position on your team.
0: All right, let's go through the other needs. On offense, what do you need other than a starting quarterback?
2: Well, you need a guard, and you need a couple offensive linemen who you can depend on through the season as far as durability. So you could probably acquire a guard and free agency that's a starter, and you may draft someone in the second or third round. And you may draft another guy in the third or fourth round up front. And you might, you might either sign Trent or know about Trent or start thinking about a left tackle. I don't know if it's John Christian, the guy that they probably hoped in the third round last year would be that answer. You need an ex-receiver, and you need either Paul Richardson to come back and have a healthy season, but he struggled to do that in his career, and ball, or you need another receiver. I like Trey in the slot, um, but you probably need two two receivers, a one and a two. Uh, most importantly, you know what you need? You need someone that can run a double move and get over the top and play action so they can scare a defense. We didn't have that, so it makes it really hard to get over the top or to get anything else because you can't scare a defense. you got to have someone that's scary, so they need that. Uh, offensively, other than other than that, man, I mean, you got a couple backs. you set there. Oh, you need a wide tight end. They, and every down block and have some some impact in the pass game is not a tendency at all times tight end. I actually think Jordan's probably a slot receiver, to be honest with you. But, um, I mean, it just depends on how you want to use him. He's a good player. But you do need a, you do need a wide tight end for the style of game that Jay Gruden likes to
0: play. Um, defensively, you need a lot.
2: Yeah, um, it's really interesting outside linebacker. Um, obviously, you got Ryan. Uh, Ryan's eating a ton of cap, but they're probably not going to do anything with that. It would be great to restructure that deal or extend that deal. You're probably going to get a chance to pay Preston Smith because if you look at the free agents at that position, there are 10 guys that have better stats or better name value than Preston. I don't know if he gets his best opportunity made to – to to be a one year deal with us, or a, or a two year deal for for kind of prove it again to get those those stat numbers. I don't know if you lose him, but you know I don't know if that's truly the rush answer. I like Sean Deion Hamilton. I I like Ruben Foster as a player. I'm gonna say that you're pretty good at inside linebacker with those two guys as your starters. Everyone knows we're good up front. Um, you need a slot corner. It's really important that you have a good slot corner in, in the NFL today. Uh, just because all of the motions and shifts and everything offenses are doing. If you don't have a smart guy that can disguise and hide and play zone man, even if he moves over, it's really tough to, to change things up on defense.
0: And then probably two safeties, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm actually st- – I started to to think the other day that they may re-sign HaHa Clinton Dix. I think that part No, of- they
2: they probably will. Yeah. They'll probably double down on that trade and, and re-sign him.
0: Right. Um.
2: And you need to restructure Josh's deal, and I don't know if he'll want to, but I don't know if he'll get that much money anywhere else. So you probably need to redo that deal.
0: I mean, I, I – I, I like
2: Josh, though, a lot as a player.
0: I, I went through the other day the um, – I, I would seriously consider the punting on 2019 option, the nuclear option. I know they're not going to, and and I had that the other day on the podcast that they are not going to go that route. But I would consider, you know, cutting Alex Smith – um, trying to trade Ryan Kerrigan, trying to trade uh, Jordan Reed, trying to trade Trent Williams, trying to cutting all of the players that you'd save money with, like Josh Norman and Vernon Davis and Zach Brown, et cetera, and going and punting on nineteen and trying to build it from scratch with with youth. Um, and and then you you know you would realize
2: though you you can't do that unless. You fire the coach and probably fire the general manager. You well, can't tell what, Bruce everything that you've built over ten years. We're gonna—he's not gonna do that.
0: Yeah, well, no. I'm just telling you. You what can't I'm tell saying.
2: him that, and then you can't put Jay in, in that uh, in that type of a well. Up it's season.
0: it's the perfect—he's its the perfect situation for Jay because you're gonna move on from him at the end of next year anyway. Let him coach. Um, the three and thirteen team, and 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 then you worry about hiring. You know, this was a tough year to hire a new coach anyway. I mean, I, 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 it's totally justifiable that they felt like they were going to have a difficult time replacing him if they even thought uh, in that direction. But yeah, I, I think it. I think if you if if you thought about the best thing for the franchise long term. You know, right now, trying to make a go of it with Alex Smith taking up close to $50 million over the next two years of your cap, um, other players that won't be around when you're ready to win taking up big numbers on your cap, potentially acquiring picks for players that won't be around when you're ready to win. um, All of that, to me, makes sense. And I'm never, ever, usually the person that says blow it all up because the NFL is such a close league and anything can happen year to year and it often does. But I think that that actually is a reasonable course for this franchise. They're not going to well, do it. My, I
2: mean, my assessment of winning is, is and, I, and I, look, I, there's so many of these guys I like and respect. And so I'm not going to say trade Ryan Kerrigan and blow it all up. Cause I, I just, I, I like some of these people and it's not fair for me to say that to them. But if you look at it from the outside, well, well first of all, as I really looked at it, I, I, I sat and watched all those playoff games two weeks ago, and I said, all of these guys have at least three or four stars, star players. And I, I, I talked about it on my podcast, and I said, look, if you don't have three or four A players, blue-chip players, five-star five star players, you can't win. And probably your quarterback has to be one of those players. And I think a couple of people texted me or t- tweeted me after and said, well, do we have Trent Way and Trent, uh, Tress Way and Trent Williams? And I'm like, okay, we have a star putter and a star left tackle. There you go.
0: Well, we've but got we Brandon, have Brandon so Sheriff many players, but we're still
2: eating up all the cap without stars. Right.
0: No, I agree. But Brandon. So should, it is interesting. Brandon Sheriff is is a star. Wouldn't you I say? I know
2: that you say linemen are stars. Okay, but I, I know. Go back I know and what you're guard saying. And now you got and now you got to pay a, a guard sixty five million dollars.
0: No, I understand what you're saying. Uh, but by the way, you know, on the Ryan Kerrigan point, you tried to make that he's your friend, and you don't want to talk about trading him. I mean, let's be fair here. It probably, you know, if if he's your friend, getting him out of here and getting him to a better don't, place don't, probably is the right thing. You. I'm not going to do that. What do you mean? I'm being serious. I'm not, not going to say. Rather that, than I'm having him be. around for the rebuild. That's all I'm saying. I'm not just he, saying because he, it's a bad organization. Ryan
2: Kerrigan, wants. Ryan Kerrigan might desire nothing more than to be here like I did when I played. I would have been here through a rebuild. <laughs> I would have stayed happily.
0: Great. Um, uh, okay, uh, let's get to the Super Bowl. Is there anything else left on the Redskins?
2: I got 15 minutes at most because I got to go talk to Joe Gibbs at 1.30. Okay.
0: Um, well, you get plenty of time. Uh all right, let's talk about the game on Sunday. Um, I'm assuming that when you think about this game, you think about it from the Rams' perspective. So how No, do bo- the... both. Both perspectives. You do? I, I mean, I've had a lot of time, so yeah, both. Uh, all right, well then from a Rams' perspective, we'll start there. How do they beat the Patriots?
2: <laughs> this is my other funny thought about Radio Row, is everybody knows how everybody wins because everybody on Radio Row is brilliant. Yeah. Um, I've listened to so many conversations about this. I really think this is going to be an interesting chess match between Sean McVeigh and, and Bill Belichick, and in a lot of ways, I guess not just saying how they win, um, I can give you certain keys that everyone knows, but I mean, the, the biggest keys are, are the adjustments made throughout the game. They've had two weeks, they're both they're both very good schematically. Um, the Patriots have always tried to take away your biggest weapon. Uh, can you tell me what they're going to take away? What, Gurley, C.J. Anderson, Cooks, Reynolds, Woods. They, the Rams aren't—they're not one-dimensional.
0: They're the, the very
2: multi-dimensional, and they can win and have success with multiple players. There's nothing. The thing you take away from the Rams essentially is their play-action game, and I got to assume Sean's going to understand the thing they're going to try to take away is play-action, and so he'll probably have a compliment to. Not as much play action, maybe early in the game. I mean, maybe it's what we always liked when he, when Kirk was here. Three-step, balls out of his hands. Pitchers sit, sitting there going, really quick game? You never just come out and run quick game. Um, they'll look at the Tennessee game where Tennessee kind of steamrolled them, and that was Matt LaFleur. I'm sure he'll have a lot of talks with Matt LaFleur about that game and what they did. But the Rams' up-tempo is, is and them never showing you – Exactly what they're doing, their ability to manipulate the 40 seconds before the ball snapped is, in my opinion, what makes Sean as smart as he's been. His play calling is very good, but it's not special. It's what everyone does. But their their pace and everything, the Patriots can't take that from them. They can't. The Rams will dictate the pace on offense. So as long as they can control the ball – They'll be in great shape. That, that that might be the the biggest key is can you maintain drives and control the ball.
0: You know it's interesting because that question that you asked, what does Belichick first try to take away? It makes sense that he's going to try to take away their their play action game, their boot game, where he always gets Goff into rhythm with play action with with boot and and getting it out on on the perimeter and and. But you know, and, and the funny thing is, is we've had this conversation over the years about how how do you how does play action work without being able to run the football or the threat of of run ball? Well, they can run the football and they have. Yeah, run they have the a football, great stretch run game, which is which is why it works. But I think it works even without the threat of a run game. Like it just seems like play action makes the defense hesitate, no matter whether yeah, you're
2: it, gra- it does because it's your natural instinct right. to go get the ball. I mean, the team that you played the week before ran the ball or the week before that was good. And so you see the ball out extended from the quarterback's hand in the back on a track. And you, you just naturally see that it's hard to overcome that natural instinct. I think at times, Uh, but the Patriots are very good. I mean, they don't buy a lot of that stuff. They, they don't buy the fly sweep stuff. They have answers for those things on the edge. So they'll be in position. It's just, you're never going to have a tell like Sean's so good at tendencies and, and he won't have a tendency in this game yeah. so I think it'll be interesting I do think that the Patriots will will, will likely stay in, in heavier personnel um so Sean's always what you call 11-3 receivers or more times than not
0: yeah, one back one tight end three receivers yeah Yep. Yeah.
2: and so I think like the Bears did they'll probably stay in in a base defense with with four backers on the field and, and say we're going to stop the run with the front five and if you end up getting three four yards of carry we don't believe you're going to keep doing it you will not beat us over the middle with play action so their backers in the middle of the field will not really bite to play action they'll wait till they know it's run before they go attack the ball and that might be an extra yard it might be an extra two yards they may get gas share there but they're not going to give up play action because of that that's what the bears did um i i think that would be that would be smart. And the other reason you'd stay in 3-4 against Sean is they really use that third receiver a lot of the time like a tight end. They have him split where the tight end is a lot. They block him on the edge. They'll block the defensive end with him in the front side of run plays. They use that personnel like it is two tight end personnel. So you just treat that guy as as like the, the H-back. It doesn't matter if he's a receiver, tight end, what it is. They're going to stay. He's just the H-back. And that'll probably, that would be my answer with Sean is, is that
0: Sean's already proven that he will, uh, he will adjust, he'll adapt, he'll be creative even before the game based on what he's thinking they're going to try to take away from the game. And, and that's why you've ended up with in these playoff games, you've ended up with, you know, in the first playoff game, 48 runs, 28 passes or whatever it was, I think against the Cowboys. Um, and then, uh, you know, it, it it that 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 just it it seems to me that he's going to be able to figure it out offensively. And I guess it, my question to you is, what's your gut feel on ultimately? If we both assume the Rams will be successful moving the ball against the Patriots, do you think it'll be the way they did it against Dallas, where they just you know the Patriots say, "Go ahead, run it against our our, our front, our base defense," or will it be another way?
2: I don't know. I think that they can have success running the ball against the Patriots. I do is, too. Is, is, is one thing. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, as I say, like eleven person, I wouldn't see, be surprised to say, see two tight ends or heavier sets or both Gurley and C.J. Anderson in the backfield or him mixing it up to, to really say, you think you're smart, Bill? I have surprises too. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them effectively run the ball i don't sean doesn't have an ego when it comes to how it gets done right that's that is one thing for sure is he he doesn't care if he looks cool with all the play actions he does what it takes to win so and then i mean that's the same thing with bill and that that's the same thing with the patriots i mean you look at josh mcdaniels and he's really not getting enough credit for being sean McVay like i mean he's as, as much of an innovator as using the back and the tight end to dictate coverage and show you where they're at and you know, now all of a sudden you're in pro style offense, and you got your fullback. You, you've you've changed to the way it was 15 years ago. And now you're smoke. they're both they're both brilliant. Josh McDaniels is brilliant. I think so. The, it's interesting. It'll be interesting how the Rams play the Patriots because
0: that's well. You know, I want to go to that next, but I want to just leave you with this one thought on Rams offense versus Patriots defense. I think they will be able to run the football, and I think that that is the, the best chance they have of winning because if they are able to run the football and score points running the football, they're going to keep it out of Brady's hands, and they're going to shorten the game, and the game's going to go under, which is going to be more likely than not a smell test pick uh, this weekend. All right, uh, flip it to the other side. Um, Rams defensively, everybody knows over the years that interior pressure impacts Brady much more than exterior pressure. Can they get it with Sue and Donald?
2: They can, but that will be that won't happen early in the game. The Patriots will probably, probably, like you said, the Rams are going to run the ball. Patriots have had great success running the ball, and as good as Donald and Sue are, some of the counter plays they run and stuff, where you're coming, where you're down blocking. Those are easy blocks for an offensive lineman, and they check into those plays based on the look in the front. So let's say you get Donald over the center, he, uh, your guard down blocking on him really is it i mean it's not you can allow some penetration you just re- it's not a hard block so those are the types of blocks they'll end up having and i think they'll have some stretch and outside stuff uh they'll they'll try to wear him down early and they won't give him free rushes to the quarterback uh it's hard because you can't really t- change tom's launch point you, can, you don't get him out of the pocket much but he's so good in the pocket that i i would expect they'll probably double donald or chip with the back inside on donald Everyone says you can't double a D-tackle, but you can. You, can you, you just can't double both of them. Um, so I, I think that they'll, they'll try to, to counteract that, and, and they'll run the ball. They're, they've been really good at running the football, especially in the postseason. Sonny Michelle has been exceptional. Their line is, is healthy this year. They, they've complemented everything with a good run game. The biggest key, if the Rams are going to win, is, is just when they do get third and third and medium to third and long, they, they can't allow Tom to, to convert. That's why the Chiefs lost. They just couldn't get him off the field. Played good defense at times she couldn't get off the field in third and tens, so that that for the rams if they if they're going to win, they'll give up some plays they'll give up some scoring drives but you get opportunities in third and long, they they got to stop them.
0: You know, it's interesting during the regular season, um, the Rams were dead last in, in yards allowed per rush. They gave up over five yards per carry, and New England was 29th in the league in, in yards per carry defensively, yet the Rams here in the two postseason games have completely shut down the run, which was a change in results from the regular season, even though I think everybody always thought they were they they should have been a much better run stopping team during the regular season. What changed against the Cowboys and the Saints? Sue decided to play. Is that all it is? <laughs> I think that was a big part of it. Yeah. Um, I I don't. I mean,
2: it's funny. We we did this on our show last year. You looked at the end of the season, like the twelve playoff teams. Eight of them were in the bottom ten in terms of yards per carry. Yards per carry doesn't really matter. The yards per game does. Right, but teams, if, if you're winning, like the Rams have scored 30 points in every game. Most teams are getting out of the run by the second half.
0: Yeah, no, so I understand you're give, that.
2: You're giving up yards early, um, but essentially you know what you're doing. And Which you're is gonna, why gonna a higher rush yardage
0: is, is going to be, you know, even more reflective of a team that struggled when you had leads and teams were throwing the ball against you.
2: No, absolutely. I don't know exactly, you know, the playoff speed is a different speed that I can't tell you that much about. Because I wasn't there very often.
0: <laughs> okay, well that was honest. But
2: um, you know, you, the Rams are a talented defense. They God. they are a very talented defense.
0: They are they're so talented. I I it, it, I think Talib and Peters would drive me nuts because they they just are always on 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 that line of either being penalized or getting beat. But they make plays. But I, I don't consider either one of them to be great anymore. Am I off? I mean, Tlaib, I well, Tlaib Peters, Tlaib is, get, right Peters right is getting Peter's beat all over it.
2: the place. Yeah, I mean, like Peter, I can pull up Travis Kelsey shaking Peters. I mean, breaking him off, making him fall down. Yeah. That's a great corner doesn't get fall down from a tight end. I know it's Travis Kelsey, but they, tight ends don't make great corners fall down. So no, he's. I don't know if Peters is great. Um, Tlaib was great, uh, but both of them can still. Both of them. Here's the thing I like. They're not afraid, and you can play them as as man corners. And that's what Wade does, but I don't know how much they play. You know, I don't know how much they stay in man. I don't know exactly how they play it out. The Wade beat Tom Brady and the Patriots three years ago in Denver, and he rushed three twenty-five times and dropped eight and played two deep six underneath. That 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 kills Tom. If you if you could get to him and play six underneath, all his throws are most of his throws are between five and fifteen yards. Right, six underneath makes it tough, dude.
0: Well, that's. I think you just hit on a big thing. I mean, I if you assume that they've they've been a much better run stopping team here in the postseason, and, and that will continue, even though though New England's been very successful running the ball here in the postseason, and you can and you can rush base defense, but put six you know within five to ten yards of the line of scrimmage, uh, you know he'll still find he'll p- still probably find Edelman behind the defense somehow. Um, and
2: you, every year, sitting. Tony Romo was like, "Yeah, I see. I told you, we was going to throw a gentleman
0: What I mean, Romo, you He's know, what, one of the, one of the things too, Romo said about the Patriots in that Chargers playoff game. He says you cannot play straight zone against them. Brady will kill you, and he said that on the first series of the game. And he said it's imperative to switch your defenses constantly against Brady uh, and Josh Dan- uh, McDaniel's. Do you agree?
2: Oh yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, I think it's much, it, I kind of told you how I would, I would treat Sean's offense. I would, I would treat the Patriots offense like it, they didn't have positions, but like I wouldn't call them a running back or tight end or an X or Z. I would just put O's on all of them. Like the old school, all the offenses, O's. all the, I would just put O's on all of them. And so if I was playing zone and the tight end motioned out and and the back went the other way. I'd just stay where I was at if I was playing man, then we'd go all over the place. i would I would just treat them I would treat them as they were a receiver, all receivers when they when in any any passing situations that's what they just dictate your coverage so well, so don't let them.
0: all right who do you like
2: i just, I think this is going to be a great game. I have this weird premonition that Sean will sit on the crown of football, he's already the golden boy, he'll be the he'll be the king of football. I just I see this weird thing and it it's more me seeing him there than it is anything else about the game. I just feel like I mean can you can you imagine what his life already is? But if he wins the Super Bowl he he's the he's the king of football. It's <laughs> he's unbelievable.
0: Well, I mean he deserves it. He's earned it and and it's a good football team. I, I I like the Rams too. I think they're good. I think the Rams are
2: built to beat this Patriots team. I think I think they, they are dynamic enough, they're balanced enough, they have enough stars on defense. They should get pressure on Tom even if it's three man rush situations. They can make a couple plays, they probably will. And Sean's so good at possessing the ball and, and maintaining long drives that if you really have to keep it away from Tom, I think Sean will be able to. So it'll be a good game. I'm excited for it. I wouldn't I'm not like I wouldn't bet on anything. I think it's I think it's big up in the air. Yeah, it's a tough game Joe to Gibbs that. used to say, hey, we're, we'll go play the game and find out.
0: Well, that's what they're going to do. All right, uh, I'll talk to you this weekend. Appreciate it. All right, buddy. See you. All right, good to catch up with Cooley and um, get his thoughts on the game. Uh, he's the only – he's one of very few opinions about this game or any game if he has studied – um, the two teams that I actually truly care about, uh, and you know, he's basically telling you that these are such well-coached teams that they're going to be, you know, figuring it out almost as they go. And in games like that, it really uh, ultimately, if you view the two coaching staffs, to be super smart and and super quick to adjust. Um it's just going to come down to individuals making plays. It sounds so cliché, but you know, it's going to come down to which team has better players and which team avoids, you know, the big mistake. Because I do view this game as very close going in, two very close teams. Now, I felt that way about the Chargers you know, before the Patriots faced the Chargers and they dismantled the Chargers. And in some ways, I I think the Chargers were just as capable offensively as the Rams are. Uh, I actually thought, think that the Rams defensively with Wade Phillips and company have a chance to figure this thing out, uh, between now, between the uh, championship game and Sunday, but it really, I mean, you you don't have to fear the cliches and the easy answers in the NFL. Sometimes it just what it, it is, what it is. And the team that loses the turnover battle, loses the mistake battle, commits stupid penalties, gets the a bad call to go against them, fumbles and gives up short field or, you know, fumbles or throws an interception going in. That's the team that more likely than not is going to lose the game in a game like this. Now, the, the interesting thing is I'd be surprised if either one of these two teams made a, a ton of mistakes. I bet we see a clean football game. I'd be surprised if there are a lot of penalties. I'd be surprised if there are a lot of mistakes and turnovers. I, I'd be surprised if Brady or Goff miss receivers by you know, wide-open receivers by overthrowing them or miss a, thir- a crucial third and three with a bad throw without any pressure. I'd be surprised if if mistakes are, are made in this game. But all it would take in a game like this, more likely than not, is one or two. You know, I mean, look at the Patriots historically in these games. The, the average margin of victory in a Super Bowl for them is 4.3 points. You know, win or lose, 4.3 points is the margin of victory or loss in the Super Bowls that the Patriots have been involved in. It's fifteen point eight for every other Super Bowl that doesn't include the Patriots or the the Brady Belichick Patriots, because the Patriots did go to two Super Bowls as an organization before Brady and Belichick. They went to the Super Bowl where the Bears won in '85, and they lost to the Packers uh, in that Super Bowl and that Brett Favre uh, win in the Super Bowl. Um, you know they've had seven game winning scores you know, in the games that they've played in, in the Brady-Belichick era, the Super Bowl games they've played in, there have been seven game-winning scores in the final two and a half minutes of the fourth quarter or overtime. All of these games are close that they're involved in. So they've played seven, Aaron. They've played seven of their, their Super Bowl games, have come down to the final two and a half minutes or overtime. All other Super Bowls combined, only five of those games have come down to the final two and a half minutes or overtime. It's here's another, here's another one. Nine fourth quarter Super Bowl lead changes in Super Bowls involving Brady. All of the other Super Bowls combined, ten lead changes. So this is more likely than not, because it's the way they've played them, going to be close. I guess the biggest... If you're going to make a total contrarian prediction about this game, it would be that the game is going to end up in a blowout one way or the other. That's pretty much, I guess the other contrarian uh, play would be it's going to be a super low scoring game. You know, the Andy prediction of 17 to 10 in the Saints Rams NFC title game. So I'm going to get to my smell test pick. I'm going to have my pick as well. I personally think that the Rams are going to be able to run the football and I believe they're going to be able to stop the run. And to me, those are the two things more than anything else uh, that lead to me liking the Rams in this particular game. I think they're going to be able to run the football like they did against Dallas's front. Dallas was a very good defensive front, and they ran it down their throats. And Dallas took away some of those play-action opportunities, and immediately they adjusted to just running C.J. Anderson and Todd Gurley right at Dallas's strength, right down their throat. You know, I, I think they're going to be able to run the football against New England, and I think they're going to be able to stop the run, something that the Chargers couldn't do and the Chiefs couldn't do. But the Rams have done against a team like the Cowboys that depended on the run, that could only generate 50 yards, 2.3 yards per carry from Zeke Elliott and Dak Prescott against the Rams in their 30-22 to 22 loss. And then the Saints, who also struggled to run uh, against uh, the Rams in the, in the NFC Championship game, 48 total yards, 2.3 yards per carry. If they stop the run and they run the football, my lean has to be towards that team. And I think they, they are going to do both. I've always said about the Patriots, it's not a a revelation. Most of you know this, when they've lost in the postseason or they've lost in the regular season, more often than not, it's because they get Brady off his spot with interior pressure. Cooley says it'll happen, but it won't happen early, that the Patriots will do things to take that away from them, that you can take away interior pressure. But it could happen late. It could happen late, especially if the Rams are stopping the run and the Rams are running the football and they have a lead. I like the Rams in this game. I think it is a good matchup for them. Uh, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know shortly as to whether or not I think it's a smell test pick, but I like them from a talent standpoint, a matchup standpoint, and an intellectual standpoint. I think the combination of their staff with the head coach in Sean McVay and the defensive coordinator in Wade Phillips are an equal intellectual match for the Patriots uh, and, and then you go with talent after that. They certainly have the talent to match the talk. And it's reasonable that how can you ever bet against Brady? How can you ever pick against Brady and Belichick, you know, in a big game? You know what? You're stupid to do it over the years. You've been proven wrong many more times than right. But I like the Rams ability in this game to run the football and to stop the run. And I think ultimately that will be the difference. Now, That won't be the difference if they turn the ball over, if they make mistakes. Um, But I also would love their ability to adjust offensively anyway to struggling to run the football if they do. But I don't think they're going to. Um, That's why I like the Rams. Uh, Real quickly, Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. If you're thinking about a new vehicle, a a Chrysler Dodge Jeep or Subaru, they've got a Subaru dealership as well, give Farish a shot. Right now, if you go to FarishCars.com, you'll see their live inventory, live pricing, and their best deals. Their best deals right now, um, they've got the best rebates they've had all year long, and the Jeep Cherokee, the Jeep Grand Cherokee, and the Jeep Wrangler are buys right now. You'll get great deals on all of them. Ask for Ralph Perkins when you get there. They're located right there in the heart of Fairfax and Fairfax Circle. Uh, They've got a great dealership. Ralph will put you in touch with their best salesperson. They've got a used car lot as well. And again, you can find out all you need to know at farishcars.com. Let's get to the smell test.
3: Kevin looks where the John Q public is putting their cash and does the opposite.
0: It's It's time time for the the smell test. test. Alright, uh, the last time we had a smell test was Championship Sunday. I went 1-1 one one on Championship Sunday. I had the two unders in the Saints-Rams game and the P- uh, Patriots-Chiefs game. And the Saints-Rams was easy, pretty much. Um, and the Patriots-Chiefs game appeared to be a lock winner until the fourth quarter started. Yeah. And they threw up 38 points and then another 6 In overtime over the final, what would that have been? 15 plus six or seven or whatever it was, 20, 22 minutes, something like that. So one and one on championship Sunday, still a good year. 109, uh, 86 and four with one day left. All right. um, Aaron's got a bunch of prop bets that he's going to throw out to me here in a moment, but uh, the the smell test really comes down to a lean on the Rams, not an official play, plus the two and a half, uh, and under 56. Um, I think that almost every... And you know what? Actually, it's 56.5. I'm going to give myself the half point right there because it's uh, on the Scores and Odds app. um, It's 56.5 right now. So, uh, first of all, if you're going to play the Rams based on the lean that I've given or your own preference, buy it to three. I don't know that it'll go to three. I know there's a lot of sentiment that it's going to get to three.
1: I I saw William Hill at one point. I think they turned it back, but it did get up to three for a little bit yesterday.
0: Uh, I... I don't have a good feel for it. I had a long conversation with somebody uh, last night. And um, the, the action is more... They're getting more Patriots action in terms of you know the number of wagers. Uh, but the volume, the dollar volume is not that far off. There's not a strong, lean, strong side. Um, I just like the Rams a little bit. And based on more of the public playing the Patriots than the Rams, not a, not by a lot but by a little bit um, I'd take the the Rams on a lean but buy it to three you know buy that half point and get it to three you know I'll, I'll, personally I'm gonna have the Rams plus three I'm gonna have them on the money line and I'll probably have them on the first half money line as well uh the the under 56 and a half is more of a decisive public play. Um, the public likes the over in the Super Bowl. You know, they look at the two scores from the championship games, the two capabilities of the teams, um, and and they think 56 and a half isn't the biggest number. Um, and that, you know, I think everybody sees like 34-31, you know, 35-30, 38-34. You know, a lot of the predictions are not 27-24 or 24-21. And I think the public generally believes that this is, you know, a game in the 30s for the winner, and worst case, you know, somewhere around 30 uh, to low 30s for the loser. Um, I I'm going to take the under based on that. I could see a high scoring game. I don't have a strong feeling about it one way or the other. It just fits the smell test. Public likes the over. Give me the under 56 and a half uh, in the Super Bowl with a lean on the Rams plus uh the three some of you have asked me to do college basketball I- I'm gonna consider it I just don't really um it's hard on a Friday I can't give you the Sunday games right now because there are no point spreads on them I can barely give you the I Saturday say, games. most
1: Saturday games don't have it right you know now.
0: but then then again I could you know potentially come in here and do another podcast on Saturday and Sunday but might have to charge for that one <laughs> so We'll consider all of those options get, down get, the road. Get a 1-900
1: line going. Uh, oh yeah,
0: but mo- most of you care about football more when it comes to betting. You know, The, the majority of you care much more about this football thing um, when it comes to betting than, than college hoops and NBA basketball. And I, I'm, I've never been a big baseball better. It's not that I've avoided it because um, I have bet baseball before, but I'm not a big uh, baseball uh, better. I do like Iowa tonight, if you're interested. I don't like the Maryland game, but I do like – Iowa. Iowa has struggled a little bit here recently. They're a good team. They're home against Michigan tonight, um, but they've lost two in a row to Minnesota, and they got beat by Michigan State. That's not a bad loss, Um, and they're only getting four tonight at home against Michigan. I kind of like Iowa tonight. I don't like the Maryland game at all, uh, the five-point number. All right, you've got some Super Bowl props.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, do you have like a, a strategy when it comes to Super Bowl? Do you bet nope. props much? Uh,
0: I have some years, and other years I've completely ignored them. It all depends on the, on the mood and the availability in the past. It's like, if I'm watching the Super Bowl with a bunch of people, you know, and I'm not sitting there bored, <laughs> the worst thing a gambler can be is bored. Right. Because then you just start trying to work up three-team teasers and oh, first-half yeah. totals and, and prop bets galore. Um, but there are years that where I'll play some of the prop bets, but more often than not, I, I really, I, I, I do, pl- I have done a lot of in-game betting in the in recent years when I'm when I'm by myself, right? When I'm sitting there watching a game or a couple of games by myself, but the prop bets usually don't interest me a lot. But go ahead, give me your favorites.
1: Uh, my favorite, so what I usually do is there's usually a player or two that I will key on and I will start hitting a lot of the prop bets on those okay. the, the over this case James White I really like a lot of the James White uh bets I've seen How many
0: James White bets are there? Just I, a, I'm just curious. I
1: mean there there's no you can get get rushing attempts, you can get rece- receptions, you can get rushing yards, you can get uh over. The ones I like uh I think his receiving yards I've seen it at 52 and a half. I think that's an over. The Rams have struggled with receiving running backs in the past. Right. Alan Kamara went for about 100 What's the number? Receivers. 52 and a half. 52 and a half. I also like him to score a touchdown at plus 140. I'm even thinking about, I, I do like that first touchdown. I, I do sometimes put a little money. He's 11 to one on that one for first touchdown of the game. So I kind of like that one. Um, as far as ones I'd I like to, to uh, ask you about, uh, Ramsack New England, the over-under line is one and a half.
0: Ooh, God, you know what? That's actually, those numbers intrigue me because they're giving you an idea of what they think may happen. And one and a half, is low.
1: Yeah, it is minus one forty for the over.
0: Uh, yeah, okay, so it's minus one forty on on the over. Um, I mean, I like I like over. I do like over one one and a half, but boy, one forty is a lot to lay. Um, but I, I probably would not play that one at minus 140. I tried to I try to wait it out to see if, it gets if I could get it, if half. I well I would definitely play it over two yeah because you push it two and right. and, and I'm assuming at two you're not going to be any more than minus 115 on that or you know maybe it's minus 120 on that. But I I um I like over. I think the Rams get to Brady more than one time in this game.
1: Uh, the first half over under I thought was interesting c- just because of the way the Patriots play they like to grind it out early uh, 27 and a half is the first half over under
0: yeah well you always have a bigger second half over under right. than you do first half because you know teams are desperately trying to score and you get a lot of late game points that sometimes don't matter so the total on the game's 56 and a half so the first half over under is not split equally right. you know at 28 28 and a half you get it at 27 and a half which is pretty close. Um, I like under. I like yep. under for the game, so I like under for the first half. I, in fact, I, I think tomorrow or Sunday, uh, I'm waiting for a plus three. What my concern is is I don't want to have to buy it at plus two to plus three. so I'll probably play it tomorrow if it's still sitting at two and a half and not wait it out on the, on the point spread. Um, I also would love to get a, a 57 on the total um, rather than a 56 and a half because the sharp money I believe will go will push that number down. I think that the the sharpest money on this game with respect to the game and the total will be on the under. Um, so I'm going to play that early at 56.5, probably today, where I can get it at 56.5, buy it to 57 uh, even. Um, but, yeah, I'll play the under on the first half number.
1: Something else you were talking about with the various lead changes and stuff. Uh, will there be a lead change in the second half? The yes is plus 120, no is minus 140.
0: Yeah, I can see why the uh, uh, Well, so there yes on a lead change in the second half it's plus is 120. plus 120? Yes. Boy, you know, that's almost an indication that they think it won't be a tight game in the second half, and most people think it will be. You know the way I think about this. I don't think about, especially with prop bets, anything with gambling. See, here's the thing. I mean, not to beat a dead horse, but all of the people that think that they can figure this out and think that they've got a great number, just understand this. It's built into the price. It's built into the point spread. It's built into the money line price. It's built into the prop price. So anyway, um... I think there's going to be a lead change in the second half, but I because it's
1: at plus 120, I wouldn't play it. Right. I would not play it. All right. Uh, other one, will there be a successful two-point conversion? Plus 210 is yes, and minus 250 is no.
0: Yeah, you know, on these PATs, missed PATs, overtimes, um, you know, these things that, that don't happen more likely than not in games, like a, a converted two-point conversion, a missed PAT, overtime, you know th- these things are always available as a prop bet in almost any NFL game that you're playing um, during the course of the season, and you know a lot of people want the they they want to they want the upside, so they'll take the plus, they'll take the underdog in these prop bets to get the upside rather than laying the heavy money to win on the favorite. And the problem is, is that it seems like there are a lot of missed pats, but it's still at a conversion percentage I think this year of ninety three or ninety four percent. You know, uh, two-point conversions usually don't happen in games, and overtime rarely happens in NFL games. So give me the number again. Plus
1: 210, yes. On a two-point conversion? Yeah. Plus 210, yes, minus 250, no.
0: Because I think it's going to be a tight game. Well, that really doesn't dictate that, because there still can be two-point conversions in a game that goes back and forth. Usually you get a two-point conversion, you know, when you're behind yeah, down more often of in, like than, that. than when you are up. Um, I wouldn't play that one. Sorry, I'm boring you, but yeah. I wouldn't play that one. What's the next one you got?
1: Uh, I got a couple cross-sport props. Okay. I, I, I like these ones, including two that are...
0: I don't even know what the basketball games are on Sunday. Well,
1: there, there is one. There is... Uh, Georgetown is playing, so they have uh, the mark. they're playing at Villanova. Margin of victory... Versus the first quarter total points.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, hold on. Let me get. Let me guess what the margin of victory versus first quarter total
1: points. For yeah, margin of victory for presumably Villanova, maybe right, Georgetown right, right. versus first quarter total right. points.
0: Okay, so Villanova is going to probably be a nine-point favorite, nine or ten-point favorite, and the first quarter points are probably somewhere around ten. You know, actually, it's with fifty-six and a half as a total. It's probably going to be a little bit more. No, the first first quarter probably. What what is the first quarter line right now?
1: Uh, I'd have to look for that one. I, I don't have that one. Um, up right
0: I'll, now. I'll say, I'll say. See, I think Georgetown's playing well. So, but so if they win, it's going to be close. I think Georgetown's going to keep it close against Villanova. So I, I'd probably go with first quarter points on that one. All right, Villanova's been that, playing well, pick, by the way, but Georgetown's playing well. Yeah. Uh, yeah I would guess that was a pick yeah
1: yeah yeah it was a pick um so we also there, there's another one caps play earlier that day one they play against Boston okay uh Alex ovechkin shots on goal against Boston versus total field goals made okay <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I went back and did the work on this one. He, they've played Boston twice, in both games Ovechkin has had five shots on goal.
0: Okay, so I was going to say that um, I was going to put like shots on goal at somewhere around three to four, and field goals at three to four for the game. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, the Caps lost to Boston the last time they played them. Am I right about that? Didn't they just lose lose to Boston recently? Yeah,
1: lost to Boston. They beat them in that opening game of the season. You know, they're they coming.
0: I mean. He's got to be refreshed. Yeah. coming off this long break, they're playing tonight. Maybe, maybe Ovechkin. Because, uh, yeah, maybe Ovechkin. I, I see. I see the Super Bowl. You, you when you when you're thinking about these prop bets too, you got to think. Well, what are you envisioning in this game? What I'm envisioning, and I'm going to give you the, my final score when when Andy comes on. I'm envisioning a shorter game, fewer possessions. Rams stopping the run, running the football, winning the time of possession battle lower scoring game therefore fewer scoring opportunities but that doesn't mean that the field goals can't go high yeah um all right what's the next one
1: uh zion williamson the duke is playing st john's this weekend zion williamson williamson total points and rebounds minus six and a half versus the first half total points say that again so zion's total points and rebounds yeah versus first half total points so
0: it's 27 and a half on the first half was the number so you're guessing which is is higher
1: minus six and a
0: half yeah. um oh the points rebounds are minus six and a half yes uh what's he averaging
1: he's averaging about 33 34 yeah. so right in that range so
0: right in that range at st john's in the garden sunday yes it's a Zion Williamson show Sunday.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you.
0: I mean, I must want to lay the six and a half on that one.
1: I, I kind of want that one, too. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> that's when the, I saw that that really stuck out to what me.
0: What time is that game Sunday? That's got to be early, right? Uh, Noon?
1: I, yeah, it's, uh, somewhere in that range, yeah.
0: God, old Krzyzewski playing those Madison Square Garden games. All right, go ahead.
1: Uh, those. Oh, I had one more just kind of fun one that I couldn't believe this was actually a profit, but I just wanted to mention to it because it made me laugh. Uh, There's a prop
0: bet on... St. John's Duke is Saturday, just so you know. Oh, Saturday? Yeah, okay. Saturday.
1: Um, There's a prop bet on five dimes, as I was scrolling through this. It said, uh, will Donald Trump serve fast food to the Super Bowl winners? Plus (laughs) 300 is the yes.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I would take no on that, more likely than not. But, you know, he's so stubborn... That he might just say, hey, I did it for Clemson. They loved it. I'm going to do it for the Super Bowl winner. The problem is the Super Bowl winner may not post <laughs> right <laughs> for the White House visit anyway. Uh, uh,
1: I'll take the plus 300 on that. You'll take the plus sure, 300. Sure, why not? How about, how about just give us the Super Bowl MVP pick?
0: Uh, give, me, give me the uh, breakdown on the odds uh, uh, on, the, on the MVPs. On. Well, um, that one
1: over here. All right, so and and obviously these are fluctuating. It depends on the book with props.
0: Brady and Goff have to be one two, right? Yeah,
1: Bra- Brady. I'm seeing minus one twenty. Goff, I'm seeing plus two twenty. Um, I'm seeing. What
0: about the uh, running backs for the running Rams? Running
1: backs, according to this, this was uh, at the beginning of the week. The William Well, Hale. who's
0: the third favorite? Is yeah, one of the running it, backs it is, the third yeah, favorite? Michelle,
1: Michelle. Okay. Michelle Gurley. What, is, what is Michelle to ten one. to one? According to this, it's 15-1. I think they've both dropped a little bit, depending on the book. Usually in the mm. twelve to one range. Uh, you got according to this again. James White twenty to one. Julian Edelman twenty to one. Gronkowski twenty five to one on the Ram side. You got C.J. Anderson twenty to one. Uh, Cooks and Woods are both eighteen to one.
0: What's Aaron Donald?
1: Aaron Donald twenty to one.
0: I might throw something on Donald or Sue on a real long shot play because you know if the, it could be you know if the rams win because of their defense because of their run stopping because of a couple of big sacks you could have a defensive mvp in this game um but i'd probably i'd probably wait i'd probably put some money on golf
1: i was gonna say what do you think of instead of betting on the team just betting on I'd, the quarterback
0: well uh, i think that that's a safe bet betting yeah. on both quarterbacks you know but like Gurley after that NFC Championship game, there's a chance he has a big game. I, I've al- I've already got a hunch that they're going to run the football well, but I think about both of those running backs as capable of running the football well. But you know, Gurley wouldn't be a bad play. Edelman wouldn't be a bad play. Um, but Donald, you said it's twenty to one. Yeah, what's Sue?
1: Uh, Sue, so I don't, uh, oh, there he is, uh, 100 to 1. Yeah, on I just
0: I just opened up one of my websites, here it is. I got, wow, I've got Donald on mine at 17 to 1, and Sue at 70 to 1. Okay, so. You know, plus 7,000, so.
1: A little bit of a drop there.
0: I, I might throw something on both of them. Just,
1: you just know, For the hell of it. 10 bucks or something. Yeah, I
0: yeah. mean, and, and just for those of you that aren't following along, okay, like, these prop bets... MVP. You bet on somebody to win the MVP. So if you bet on Jared Goff at plus 200, that's two to one. So if you bet a hundred, you're going to win 200 bucks. All right. To to win a hundred on Brady, you actually have to lay 120. You'll lose 120. He's the favorite, but for Aaron Donald, as an example, if you bet a hundred bucks on Aaron Donald to win the MVP and he won the MVP, you'd win $1,700. Now, for those of you going, well, why wouldn't I just put a little bit on like six or seven players and I'm almost guaranteed to win? Well, you can do that, but they've figured it out on the well, other end. There's a reason the quarterbacks <laughs> are so heavy there, yeah.
1: which is why golf is interesting. Yeah. If you think I'd the Rams are pl- going right. to win.
0: I'll take plus 200 on Goff. Yeah. I will. I, I, I'll take, you know what? I'll take plus, I'll take 20 to one on Edelman. Edelman's plus 2000 right now on one of my sites.
1: Just so hard for a receiver to win it.
0: Yeah, but he would have. He would have been. He would have had a chance to win it in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. All right. What else you got?
1: Th- those were the main props I wanted to uh, throw out at you.
0: Um,
1: We've been doing about 15 minutes of props, but. Uh, Anything else jump out at you now that you have your book up?
0: Actually, I've got it up right now. I you know the I hear all the comparison.
1: How about first t- do, you, do you like the first touchdown bet? I I think it's fun, but obviously it's kind of random at times. It's
0: completely random. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it weren't random, uh yeah. then they everybody would be uh even money. Um
1: I do like it hasn't come up lately, but I've definitely bet in the past the Tom Brady to score a rushing touchdown bet. I think I've bet that almost every time he's been in the Super Bowl, and it's hit somewhat often.
0: Yeah, what I'm looking for here is I'm looking for the adjusted lines because I like that sometimes. And just to explain to everybody for for big games, and actually they do this during the regular season for a lot of games too, especially the Sunday night games and the Monday night games. They're adjusted point spreads, so you can play the Patriots instead of laying two and a half, you can play them plus three. Now you have to, you know, you have yeah. to lay. Uh, a lot to do it.
1: Um, I have Williams Hill list here for some of the point uh, spread I don't know. God, props.
0: there are so many props on the site I'm looking at right <laughs> now. I can't find the adjusted lines, which is usually the easiest thing. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I see, like, if you if you adjust Rams all the way to three and a half, you reverse that. Uh, it's Rams plus 190, and if you're going to give the Patriots plus three and a half, is minus 220.
0: All right, here are the adjusted lines. I just found them. Um, the Patriots laying seven and a half uh, is plus 205. Boy, that's wouldn't interest me the rams plus seven and a half you got to lay 265 the rams laying three and a half plus 180 boy i wish i could get more for the rams laying three and a half i think i'd play that i like the rams to win the game outright so i'm looking at the rams you know plus but i'm really looking at some of their minuses like the the rams uh the rams laying 17 17 and a half you base is basically five to one. So, you, you if you bet uh, the Rams laying 17 and a half, 100 bucks, you'd win 500. Um, let me see if there are any here that interest me. The Rams laying seven and a half is plus 250. No, I mean, like the Rams laying three and a half. I'm not going to play any of these adjusted lines. I like the Rams plus three. I'm going to buy the half point. I'm going to play the under in the, the game. I'm going to play the under on the first half, and I'm going to play the Rams on the money line. You know, right now the Rams uh, are plus 120 on the money line. You know, so I'll probably play the money line first half and second half Rams. And that's going to be it. Uh, all these other props, have at it, general public. Uh, <laughs> this is really, th- this stuff is for you. And if I were home by myself on Sunday and not watching the game with other people, I'd probably have about 30 prop bets. Of course. On Sunday. All right, uh, real quickly, um, let's tell you about launch workplaces in Bethesda and all over town. If you have an office from home and you're thinking about trying to get out of your home to something that's easier because of the kids or or your dogs or whatever... Consider Launch Workplaces, um, and you can find out all about Launch Workplaces at launchworkplaces.com. They've got locations throughout the city. There's one in Bethesda in particular that's brand new. Uh, This Bethesda location is right there in the Mass Ave corridor. Um, It provides fully furnished uh, offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, and 24-7 access. Great space. They've got co-working desks for you if you don't even need a fully furnished office. They've got conference rooms uh, as well. You'll get more work done today by moving your office to Launch Workplaces. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240 867 That's 240-867-14 or launchworkplaces.com to see all of their other locations locations. locations around town mention that i told you to call and you'll get an exclusive free two-day trial uh let's bring in andy poland we'll get to score and more here to finish up the show in a moment but andy as he has been doing all football season long um has uh regaled us on fridays with memory lane stuff and back in the day stuff what do you got for me today I, i yesterday i actually thought about waiting until today to do it um, but yesterday was the you know thirty-one year anniversary of the Doug Williams Super Bowl, and the day before that was the thirty-six year anniversary of the Rigo uh, Fourth and One Super Bowl. So, uh, if you have that, um, we can do that. But if you've got something else, have at it.
4: Yeah, I mean, we, we could talk about that, but uh, we you know we're sort of running out of Super Bowls now with yeah. <laughs> with with, with uh, what's happened the last twenty-seven years, but. Coming up next week will be the 50th anniversary of the hiring of Vince Lombardi by the Redskins in 1969. And as you remember, Lombardi led the Packers to -to back-to-back Super Bowls, retired after what was the 67 season to become just the general manager of the Packers. And he was miserable, hated it, wanted to get back into coaching. And the Packers said, well, Jesus, if you'd like to come back Vince, we'll we'll make it happen. And he didn't want to, stabbed his replacement, Phil Bankston, in the back. The other thing that was happening was that Edward Bennett Williams, who was running the Redskins, he technically wasn't the majority owner at the time. Jack Kent Cook was, but the league had a rule that you couldn't own other sports franchises, and Cook owned the Lakers and the LA Kings, so Edward Bennett Williams was serving as the president of the team, and the way they got Lombardi was they offered him 13% ownership. Now think about that now. The Redskins are worth, I'm not great with math, but the Redskins are worth about $3 billion, right?
0: Uh, I think it's more than that, but yeah.
4: Okay, so you're talking $35, $40 million if you give them <laughs> that much ownership these days. Those days the Redskins were maybe $1, $2 million, whatever it was. But that was part of the allure to come. Plus the Packers couldn't match it because they were a community-owned team, so they couldn't right. give him ownership. So he comes to Washington, and he was introduced February sixth at the Sheraton Carlton Hotel, and uh, he was introduced by Edward Bennett Williams, who was asked, "Well, what is your role going to be?" And he said, "Well, I hope Vince lets me keep my season tickets." <laughs> so, uh, and Lombardi pretty said, self-deprecating
0: for a highly competitive person, which Edward Bennett Williams was.
4: Yes, but that's but smart Lombardi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like Dan Snyder bringing back Joe Gibbs. It's that it's the equivalent of that. Right. And uh, and he said uh, Lombardi said it's not true that I can walk across the Potomac even when it's frozen. And he said he had plans to make D.C. the football capital of the world. And you know, you and I have both talked to Sonny Jurgensen over the years, who said that was the greatest year of his life. Right. That uh, Lombardi brought out the best in him. He completed sixty-five percent of his passes. Um, the team went 7-5-2 and two, and was actually in the running. I think they were 4-1-1 one, and one in the early part of the season. Uh, again, they had trouble with the Cowboys that year, but uh, had a winning season for the first time in like 25 years. And he also, you know, discovered players. That's what he, In those days, there's no free agency, but he brought in a guy like Larry Brown in the eighth round. Brown had close to 900 yards rushing in a 14-game schedule, finished, I think, second in rushing to Calvin Hill, who was the Rookie of the Year that year, and they were on their way. And one of the things that Sonny also talked about, Lombardi, of course, uh, had cancer and uh, died just before the start of the 1970 season. But during that summer, when Sonny went to visit him at Georgetown University Hospital, Lombardi said that there's a merger happening now, and the AFL is coming in with all these passing teams. He said, you watch, this is going to become a passing league. And in fact, it did, but... He didn't live to see it. He died at the age of fifty-seven.
0: You know, you um, you're you're a little bit older than I am, and so mm-hmm. you remember this. I I do not remember the Lombardi year, or the Lombardi hire. But what was the city like? How big of a deal was it when they hired Vince
4: Lombardi, the Green Bay Packers head coach? It was it was unimaginable. I mean, nobody could could believe that that was happening because you got to remember this: the Redskins who were all white until 1961, had been horrendous to exciting but not winning. You know, Sonny threw a lot of passes in the mid-60s, and he had Hall of Fame receivers like Bobby Mitchell and Charlie Taylor, but they didn't do a lot of winning. And here's a guy who comes in and says, we're going to win right away. Now, he did say this. He said in, in his initial press conference, he says, Sonny's arm will probably fall off before we win a championship. But then he got to training camp, and he saw Sonny, and he said to one of his assistants, he said, if we'd have had him in Green Bay, the NFL would have declared us a monopoly. And so when he started winning, people got really excited about that, and it it looked like, you know, finally the Redskins were going to have a a good team. But it didn't happen. He died, then Bill Austin was the coach for one year, 1970. And then 71 came along, and I think if you look at where the Redskins really became – you know, the darling of the city, the the most important team in town. They were important before, but the George Allen era really ushered in what we grew up with here, with the great right. teams that they had.
0: Yeah, that's the way, that's, I mean, and those are my earliest memories as well. You know, 50 years ago um, this month, uh, this week, I guess, uh, the Redskins hired, Vince Lombardi you know you mentioned the line that he had about Sonny that they would have declared Green Bay a, you know a monopoly in the league had Sonny been their quarterback was that perceived at the time to be a shot at Bart Starr
4: no it's just that that's how good Sonny was I mean the, you got to remember the Green Bay attack was based on the running game yep. Jim Taylor right and, and those and then Donnie Anderson later so Starr really didn't have to do a whole lot and you know, Green Bay didn't have anything like Charlie Taylor. They had guys like Boyd Dowler. They had good receivers. So I think he, he realized, in order for me to succeed with the Redskins, I'm going to have to throw the ball more than I did in Green Bay and be more reliant on my quarterback. And while Bart Starr was a great leader and in, in everything, he was not the passer that Sonny was. I don't think anybody would have disputed that at the time.
0: Yeah, the Redskins um, finished that first Lombardi season, which was their first winning season in forever seven five mm-hmm. and two. They were, you know, a full three and a half games behind uh, the Cowboys um, for the division yeah. title, and they were in what was called the Capital Division that year uh, with the Cowboys, the Redskins, the Eagles, and the Saints were in their division uh that particular year is they were headed towards the you know the first merger season uh which was the following year when the when the divisions really aligned the way they still sit today for the most well where they sat for many many years which was the nfc east the central and the west and then you know we had in in uh 2002 we had the addition of um in an, adi- uh, an additional division in each conference but um the the 7-5 and 2 started with three road games Andy uh, like the, uh, Lombardi's uh. the the head coach of the Redskins and it starts their season starts with three road games at the Saints at Cleveland who was very good and they they lost a close game at Cleveland and then at San Francisco they tied before their home opener on October 12th 1969 right. well, against the St. Louis Cardinals
4: but but you have to remember this, for most of us, that was a great thing because until um, 1973, all the home games were blacked out. Right. So we, we got to see the first three games <laughs> That's crazy. of Lombardi's run here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, also, I was at his last game at RFK. It was against the Saints. Billy Kilmer was the quarterback, and the Redskins won that 17-14. You know, and it's funny, um, David Marinus wrote, a, I guess, the, the quintessential Lombardi book. It's been 15 years or so. But uh, he talked about how Lombardi was already feeling the effects of the colon cancer that would kill him. And he talked about how he'd often bend over on the sidelines. And in my mind's eye, I have a view of that. Lombardi with his hands on his knees, he was wearing a trench coat. That's how coaches dressed in those days. You wore like a, yeah. a, a, you know, a fedora and a trench coat. And, uh, and they didn't have all the logoed gear that they have now. In fact, the Allen was, was like a new thing when he had that R on the Redskin hat, well, right. nobody had those, those days. They didn't sell those in the sporting goods store. Those, those That was a cool thing. So it, it was just a different, different era. And you just think back about what could have been. And Sonny, you know, as you know, hated George Allen and he wound up playing, what, five more years after Lombardi died? Right. Think of what the two of them could have done together. They might have won a Super Bowl Well,
0: it's team. interesting in Redskins history that, you know, you had the situation where, you know, if Lombardi didn't pass away, had he lived another 10, 15, well, 20 years and coached another 10, um, mm-hmm. how things would have changed because we did get George Allen the year after, uh, you know, no. in 1971, which started the era that, you know, we all talk about, you know, the era from basically 71 through, you know, the early to mid-90s, the Joe Gibbs era. Um, and and w- it, by, by um, in, in similar fashion, if the Redskins don't lose to the Cowboys in the final game of 1979 when Roger Staubach takes him back from two touchdowns down in the final two minutes to beat him 35-34 and the Redskins go to the playoffs and potentially as a one seed get to a Super
4: Bowl with Jack Pardee, we probably yep. never get Gibbs. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But, you know, it comes back and evens up when you get Jim Zorn in here, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it does. (laughs) It does. Uh, All right, good stuff. Let's finish up the show with a Super Bowl score and more. Time to settle the score. It's score
2: and more. All
0: right. um, The last time we did predictions, you had just the ridiculous uh, prediction of 17-10 17-10 Saints over Rams, but it was <laughs> but, but it was an under game, and I had the under, right. too. I actually mm-hmm. nearly got both scores right in the championship yeah. games. I, you, Aaron, you remember that? I had the Patriots winning on a touchdown in overtime, yep. 30-24, 37-31, and I had it 28-26 Rams, and it was 26-23. So yeah. every once in yeah, a while I, you got to remind people about the predictions you got right, not just all of them that right. you get wrong. All right, wh- and I was
4: pretty close on that one, too, and I did pick the Patriots.
0: I guess you did. You did pick the Patriots. Okay. All right, who do you like? Okay.
4: You know, I was thinking about Super Bowls and what we used to see in the 90s, all the blowouts. And the last lopsided Super Bowl we had was five years ago when Seattle blew out Denver. Like, you know, Peyton Manning missed the snap on, like, the first play of the game where a snap went over his head. Right. Uh, I, I think we're due for another one of those. Oh, and really? I was just about yeah. to go there.
0: All right, go ahead. Yeah,
4: I. I think I think five years in, in Super Bowl <laughs> parlance is a long time and I think that you're gonna see New England win big I think 42 to 10 is going to be my pick Wow
0: well, you're the only person yeah. in the country with that one um, okay so what I was thinking here as we started to get into this segment I've been I've been talking throughout the show that I see a close game and I, I like the Rams mm-hmm. but what you, you know but the contrarian in me is Basically, has landed on the same spot that you landed on, which is the one. There are two things that nobody expects in this game a blowout and a low scoring game. Now, I don't know how low scoring it's going to be. I like the under. I gave it out as, as my smell test pick, under 56.5. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to go ahead. You know, the, the Broncos beat the Panthers 24 to 10. So that was not. The, the thrilling Super Bowls that we've seen the last two years. Th- three out of the last four years, you've had thrillers. You know, the, the Patriots-Eagles, Falcons-Patriots, and the Seahawks-Patriots. Uh, three out of the, uh, the, the, the last four. And you had the Broncos, you know, handling Carolina in between. And then the real blowout of, of the last many Super Bowls was 43-8, to 8, the New York Super Bowl, um, the Seahawks over the Broncos. Um, so I'm going to go with Rams... Twenty-nine, oh. Patriots, 17. Okay. Uh, so wow. I, I'm going to go with not a, a down-to-the-wire game, and I'm going to go with an under game, and I'm going to go with the Rams, 29-17. to And I guess my footnote would be that the Rams really mess Brady up somehow, that Brady does not have a great Super Bowl game, that he throws maybe a pick or two, gets sacked three or four times, and struggles against the Rams defensively. Doesn't seem cr- yeah. it seems crazy to predict that, but I'll just go with that.
4: Yeah, I just I just see I just see Jared Goff throwing a pick six here. Maybe there's a you know there aren't special teams touchdowns anymore the way the rules are set up. But you know when these Super Bowls used to go bad, they really went bad. Oh yeah. The, you know, and and I don't think, you know, it's not like the, the Broncos' defense 31 years ago, which may have been the worst defense in Super Bowl history. But I just think that, you know, young quarterback, veteran team, uh, two weeks for Belichick to prepare, I just think that the, 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 it lines up to be a blowout. It may not be, but that's, that's my feel, my gut feel on it.
0: What's the first great Super Bowl game you can remember?
4: <sighs> first great Super Bowl? Um... Let's see. Well, I mean, they ranked the Jets beating the Colts as great but only because it was historic. You're right. talking about a game that was really Yeah, a really good it's game
0: really... because you're right. For for the first two decades, basically, if not longer, yeah. of the Super Bowl, very few compelling games.
4: Yeah, I, I would say it might be 13. The uh, the Jackie Smith's got to be the sickest man yep. in America Super Bowl. I think that was 35-31, and you had Bradshaw and back combining for like seven touchdown passes. That was that was really exciting. I, I that one was uh, the one the most exciting one I was at was the Redskins. Third, you know when the Rigo Super Bowl. But if you if you look at that game too, uh, it was a ten point game. But the Dolphins got a Jimmy Cephalo touchdown pass on a, just a complete blown assignment by the Redskins. He had no business being open and Fulton Walker took was it the second half kickoff yeah. back for a touchdown without those two plays the redskins were completely dominant in that game they might have pitched yeah. a shutout i don't
0: think it was the second half kickoff i think it was in the second quarter to give him a 17 mm-hmm. to 10 lead but um, okay. yeah, yeah but the, but the rigo run came in the fourth quarter to give him a three point mm-hmm. game in a game that they trailed four uh, and i i think that the first steelers cowboys super bowl um, which would have been uh, the Super Bowl X, the one in Miami, yeah. the one where Lynn Swan, you know, is an acrobat making a lot of catches. I think that's one of the first Super Bowls I really remember being entertaining. I don't really remember the Jim O'Brien, which was the only close Super Bowl in the first 10, really that Jim O'Brien's game, game winner. But it was a terrible game, everybody says, it right? Game. <clears throat> it
4: was a terrible game, and they named Chuck Howley the MVP, right. the only player for the losing 15. team. To win, because it looked like the Cowboys were going to win. They fumbled the ball, and then uh, that set up the O'Brien uh, field goal. But it, re- it really was not a great game. There was a big play to John Mackey in there. Uh, Earl Morrill, who started, got hurt. Unitas came in. or you know, It's the other way around. That's right. United started. Earl Morrill came in. And uh, and uh, yeah, but as a game itself, it was not well played.
0: I mean, we have seen in the last ten to twelve years of the Super Bowl the greatest games in Super Bowl history. Last year, yeah. the the, right. the Patriots Falcons game, the Patriots Seahawks game, the Ravens 49 ers game was great. Both giant uh, wins over the Patriots were great games. The the Packers win over the Steelers in Super Bowl forty five in in Dallas. God, that was a week, wasn't it? Down in Dallas for that week, oh, um, boy. We. we We've, it, the Steelers win over the Cardinals, you know, often gets voted as oh, the yeah. most exciting finish of all time. The Santonio San Holmes uh, catch yep. to win it over Kurt Warner and the Cardinals. We've just had the best Super Bowls ever, so maybe we are due. Although the Patriots right. have not played in a boring Super Bowl in the Belichick Brady era, they've all come down to the wire, all of them.
4: And again, don't you see the law of averages catching up? Yeah, and, I do. That's no, no,
0: you know the way no. I think. It's about time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. One one last thing before you run. Have you read the Globber book um, on Walsh, Parcells, yep. and Gibbs? Is it worth reading?
4: Yes, and, and we had him on the show. Tom and I uh, talked to him. I've known Bob since I was covering the Giants in the late '80s for uh, WFAN, and there are some stories in there that you probably haven't heard. Mostly, I'll tell you, it was mostly Walsh who was the, I was the least familiar with because covered the Redskins and the and the Giants, but. Uh, some some good nuggets in there, and, and Bob's a real good reporter, so I, I recommend it.
0: Was Walsh arrogant?
4: That's what I heard. He was arrogant, and I also heard that the players didn't necessarily like playing right. for him very much.
3: Yeah, they,
4: they liked winning, but he he would get rid of guys a year or two early. He was kind of cold and distant, and apparently, from when you read the book, you'll find out how insecure he is. You know, a lot of things that that he his he was such a perfectionist. That when he wouldn't get there, he would he would beat himself up for it, and uh, and then you know was passed over. He had to go to Stanford to get head coaching experience so he could become a head coach. They picked Tiger Johnson over him when uh, when Paul Brown retired as coach of the Bengals. Hey, think of how history would have been different there too if he had stayed in Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm. I, I'm gonna get it. I, that's been on my list of things to do when football season was over to get that to read that real quickly. I, I'm curious as to the stories that you feel were were untold that we don't know. Um, but yeah, but... I think
4: the, the the Gibbs stuff you're gonna know and yeah. you're gonna know most of the Parcells stuff, but the uh, the Wall stuff I thought was very interesting.
0: Okay. Um. All right. Thanks. Uh. You know what? Actually, stick with me here for a second because I'm gonna if... end. I'm gonna end the show. Um. By playing something. I'm not I'm a Mike Francesa Chris Russo fan. Uh, this is what hooked me on Sports Talk Radio was Spending a lot of time in the early '90s, in particular, in New York, I, I had to for business, and I was up there, you know, on average about three days a week, and and I got hooked on on Mike and the Mad Dog on WFAN. And in recent years, I, I still listen to Russo. I listen to the Mag, Mad Dog Channel. Yeah. I listen to him um, in particular, um, not every day, but I'll, I'll listen to him a lot. I don't listen to Frances anymore. I always preferred. Um, Russo over Francesa, anyway. But I, I just always love them together. But over the years, I mean, Francesa has become a punching bag for just everybody. And like, there are websites dedicated to every mistake that he makes, and Twitter feeds on every day with with the mistakes yeah. he made. But this one yesterday, Aaron shared it with me before the show. Uh, I think uh, I heard it. Yeah. yeah, we'll start to play it. But basically, Francesa. You know, is talking about Radio Row, and uh, you know he doesn't do the the interviews where people are pitching their wares, which is every interview, as you know, and um and somebody put this together, so uh we'll listen to it together and let it play out. Uh, but enjoy the Super Bowl, uh, everybody, and uh back Monday uh, with a recap of the game, and I'm sure the Redskins will do something over the weekend as well, and we'll have uh, all the basketball from over the weekend to talk about too. Uh,
3: but we'll do a little bit of everything. We'll do a couple things. Uh, different. We haven't overloaded the shows with a bunch of, uh, you know, just a parade of uh, players, because listen, that's what that's what this has become. It's become an economy of players who want to get paid to hawk products, and that's what they do. And they just line up and hawk products. Well, you know, we're not very much into that stuff, so uh, that's not what we're going to be about as we uh, get ready to hit. <laughs> And uh, so we'll try to see what other interesting things we can kind of hook onto. A buddy of mine turned me on to this product. I tried it for like three or four months, and I've noticed a difference, and I've been taking it ever since. And they just line up and hawk products. Well, you know we're not very much into that stuff, so. x Tech, you, you wear these guys yet? Man, I switched out my last <laughs> year. And they just line up and hawk products. Well... You know we're not very much into that stuff, so. What do you got going on now? Okay, one? today I'm partnering with uh, Genesis. Um,
4: I got to drive this car for about two weeks. A nice it's looking a nice-looking car. It's a G70. It's a nice-looking car. They got car.
3: G80s, G90s. And they just line up and hawk products. Well, you know we're not very much into that stuff, so. All right, tell uh, me what you're talking about well, here, guys. Uh, we're talking about Pure Sports Recovery. And they just line up and hawk products. Well, you know we're not very much into that stuff, so.